computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, the podcast where we are fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. And today, I'd like to pose you a question. Would you ever take on an industry titan? Do you ever think you could get to a point where you thought you could do a better job than the incumbents in the market? For some of us, the answer may be yes, but maybe not if you're in the computing sector. But meet John Turin, the founder of Venom Computers, and the guy who a few years ago sat down and said, I think I can do a better job making computers than some of the biggest companies on the planet. This is a fascinating conversation with a deep thinker, someone who has got a passion and drive like is second to none someone who is focused and committed to bringing the absolute best to the world and thinks in fact human progress depends on intelligent performance john it is a pleasure to have you on here thank you so much for joining us and where i start with all guests is ultimately a question which i know is really or a statement which is really close to your heart and that is what is intelligent performance so as the granddaddy of intelligent performance and, and the, the line behind Venom, what does intelligent performance mean to you? Intelligent performance is something that I, I try to apply on the daily. And without rambling too much on about it, uh, essentially, if you break down intelligence, it's one step up from smart, which is the ability to recall what you've learned really well, but the ability to apply something you've learned in one field to another field, that makes you intelligent. Or if you don't know how to do something, you have obviously by, you know, for example, if you're smart at school, you've, you know how to learn. So now that you know how to learn, you should be able to figure out how to learn something that you don't know. And if you can apply that and learn it and then turn it into a, a applicable skill you're intelligent and performance is the component where can you deliver does it work how does it perform yeah does the is it a show mm -hmm. once you open those curtains is it performing how is it performing is it performing well and these are the things that we as humans have done from the beginning of time and computers for me, and always been something that's been like super interesting ever since I was a kid, because it's the evolution of the pen, paper, abacus, calculator, what have you, uh, similar to what maybe a, a jet is to a bicycle. But my take, and you correct if I'm wrong here, is that getting to know you more and hearing more about the company around Venom, if we're going to go into detail. Mm -hmm is that intelligent performance is far more than like a slogan. Yeah. Like, and for you, I think it, it's almost like a mission statement, almost. Or it's like a, it's like a way to live your life. And that if you're not performing intelligently, well then what's the point? And it's almost like the way you talk about it and have talked about it with me and why I was so keen to say, like, we should build a podcast around this was that it was like into battle betterment of humanity. 100%. And I'm intrigued. So what, when did that happen for you? Because there's something to build a company. There's something, you know, it's, uh, we'll talk about Venom and, and in terms of all types of computers they produce, but I, f I feel like 
with the place to start is like, what was it that when did you become so interested in humans and the human race alone? Being in an intelligent performance. Oh man, society. Um, I've always been interested in history, and if you look at you know humans and you look at us as you know, I'm not an extinctionist. I believe the most important thing for humans or any race is for it to continue. So I think if we are to continue, we need to continue properly. We need to continue as part of planet Earth, as part of this solar system, as part of the galaxy. We don't know. Right? There's no point going to another planet, for example, and then you know, dumping trash in, in, in space and then having a land on someone else's planet. I mean, that's no different to polluting the ocean here. Yeah. Just because you throw it in the ocean here and then it ends up somewhere else, you don't see it. I mean, space may, could be the same, right? Depending on how terrible we're going to be uh, interplanetary. But when did it start for you? When did it, cause it, this, this, I mean, as a kid, like I want, as a real small kid, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. And I don't know, it's about discovery. I think I had to, I had to be, 80s Melbourne was not a very friendly place if you were the son of an immigrant or the son of a, or the, you know, the grandson of an immigrant. Yeah. It's very different. Australia is very different now. But if, you know, you looked a bit different or had different toned skin, just people don't, you know, people are, people are afraid of what they don't know. Or people are afraid of what they don't understand. Or people, people always pick on something that's different. But 80s Melbourne... I didn't grow up in an immigrant area. I didn't grow up with other immigrants. I grew up in primarily what would be, you know, Australians who have British ancestry and or traditional British ancestry. And it was rough, man. Like, it wasn't easy at all. You know, uh, they used to call me names and things that I didn't even know what they were myself. And, and I only spoke English. Mm. So I had to be better than them. Oh, yeah. And it had to be better than them. I had to be better than them at school, academically, sports, in the playground, and I was. Got you. And so effectively, it was applying that principle, right? And I, uh, I guess, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I think it's that. I, yeah. I mean, I kind of thought about it, but not. And a question: Why? Why did you feel you had to be better than? Because other some people would just thought about that. I thought about that too before as well. You know, there's this story of like why they ask this guy like why you, you know, how come you're so successful? And he's like, oh, cause my, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, and then his brother's a flop, and they're like, why are you a flop? You know, why why are you an alcoholic? Why are you whatever? Because oh, cause my dad was an alcoholic. <laughs> so, <laughs> I. I don't know, right? Like, like, I do think there is, I do believe in divine providence. There's no other answer for it. Like, I think people are like, yeah, I did this. I did that. I did this. While you're, I'm definitely a product of my environment. My parents, you know, they were very educated. Uh, like, was like a research scientist for Kodak, which it's a be like working for, you know, one of the top Silicon Valley companies today. And so that's how I first got my first computer in the house. You know, she brought home a laptop with a monochrome screen. It's like six or seven years old and all the neighbors came around. They're like, whoa, what's that portable computer with a battery and a screen? It wild, you know, in the eighties. So I think that magic of this thing, right, that you open up and it, largely 
laptop computers hadn't changed. But going back to step before we dive down the computer alley, yeah, yeah, it's like it sounds like challenging childhood, getting bullied. Would that be fair? Massively, you know. And my dad, my dad is a, my dad is a, a real. He's really, really tough guy. Okay. Extremely tough. Yeah. And at the same time, like people might think that. Yeah. He he's he can be really rough, but he's extreme he's refined as well. So there's a very strange side to that. He's hard to summarize and explain because he's quite multidimensional. He he played a big part of you know, they taught me how to fight. I, I fought bully, I fought everyone. I constantly fought. Like from grade two all the way through. So I fought everybody. Intelligent performance wasn't an option, wasn't a slogan. It was like a survival mechanism. I had to. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, I wanted to beat the kids at basketball. I wanted to beat them in, uh, you know, footy and cricket, well, whatever. Whatever it was, I wanted to beat them. Mm. And I had to be better than them. I had to beat them in school, beat them, you know, impressing the girls, whatever. Yeah. All, all the time. The funny part of the story, though, is that. Afterwards, when I was 14, my family decided to migrate to Turkey. And I went from being the immigrant in Australia to being the immigrant in Turkey. Right. And experienced the exact same thing. Interesting. This time from supposedly the, the, the group who I was supposed to be from. <laughs> <laughs> and that was wild too. You know? and, and then, but the difference there was though, because I looked like the majority of the population, once I started sounding like them, mm. I was completely welcomed in, right? And that was different. Like, they, I've got friendships there that uh, I'm still friends with everyone that I went to school with. So, and I love those guys. And they, they make, you know, they, it was a very strong core pillar of mine to go, ah, this is my ancestral home. Oh, yeah. You know, and this is where. I'm truly from. And you can expand on that because I feel that for Earth now. And that sounds, that may sound like yeah, cliche or cheesy or whatever, but I don't, I, I do feel like I belong to. Yeah. But I actually, I think for a lot of people, it would sound cheesy. And I think a lot of people sometimes think of, or kind of throw out that stuff. But I think, again, to know you and knowing you as well as I do now, Actually, I don't think it's cheesy at all for you. And I think that's probably what's really hard for people when they start to learn about your story and about what drives you. And then when you start to tell me, you know, if we take, if we talk about Venom, right? So you've built what would be one of the best in class computers companies in there, right? But no. That's what I'd like to think, yeah. I mean, our, our customers who know us repeatedly tell us that. And I, and I, look, at, I look at them for that. And... It's a niche product, right? And I'd say it's kind of, it's counterculture from a world where Apple is dominant mm -hmm. and where it's become cool just to get a Mac. Not, you have no idea what's in the Mac, how it works at home, but it is kind of like Phil's last opens and it's got a nice box. So what you're doing, you're about intelligent performance, which is really, if we go back to what you're doing, it's about thinking. Whereas counterculture is really, actually Apple Mac is, if you look to this, really not about thinking so much, not to say people don't think about buying one, but it's quite different. And, and it's like a contrarian almost. Uh, there, I mean, 
that's that's an amazing company. They've done incredibly well, right? And I was fortunate enough to be old enough to see where they went very, very wrong in the 90s, right? I mean, it's harder for maybe you. You're a little bit younger than me, but you wouldn't remember the time where they weren't cool at all. No. They were trash. Right. Right. And like, it wasn't a great product at all, you know? And, they, and they've come a, a real long way in how they do things and the stuff that they do is great um is it the best it's not but do people know that no they don't i mean and is perception reality yeah yeah so does it really matter what i think it doesn't right mm. like what's important is what do the customers think now can we do things better 100 percent. that's what we do do we do do things better do people need better some people do yeah some people do want to perform better some people want that cutting edge. And, you know, for me, cutting edge can be 1%, can be 5%. I mean, if you're going to win all the time and you're going to roll the dice evenly each time, you only need to be 1% better every time. Mm. What about if you're 40% better? Right. But, uh, you know, like, it's not the... I heard that in Top Gun. I think he goes, you know, Maverick says it's not the it's not it's not the plane, it's the pilot. No. Computers are the same. It's not the computer. Like a lot of people have got to understand that it's how you use it. Mm. And I can give you something that's incredible. Yeah. Best chair fighter in the world, so uh, but you know, it's the ultimate Facebook machine. So yeah. <laughs> so do we take it back a step before Venom existed, right? As I understand it, you had a business before and you were selling other people's computers. Mm -hmm. So just tell us a, that story. You took that from, you know, something small to... Yeah, that was... Right. That was, um, that was a really wild ride. Like, I think about it sometimes. It's... I used to... Uh, I mean, I went to... I went to college, university in the US for a bit as well. Lived in Europe as well. So... Uh, you know, when I was in the US, I got a knack for business. Uh, I, uh, I, I loved America. I still love America. I love it. Uh, I learned a lot of how I saw the good side of capitalism. I saw some of the bad stuff too, but, you know, the good side of the efficient deployment of capital, right? Like capital in the US really does flow towards where it needs to go. It's, it's like a difficult concept for people outside in the US who haven't lived America to understand what that means like we say it in australia and in europe but you know in in australia we're very we are very socialist we don't you know we do suffer from tall poppy syndrome here we don't we like to say we back the underdog only until the underdog starts winning once the underdog starts winning here you know crabs in a barrel they want to cut you down they don't want you to get too far ahead you know it's they want you to be a captain among equals Unfortunately, like greatness doesn't happen that way. So, you know, when you're in the US and Europe has classism and different sort of things, they're happy to. I think a great example is if you look at a European sports car, it's mostly unaffordable. They're fantastic, but they're elitist. Whereas if you look at an American sports car, right, it's an SS. Mm. You, if you're a hardworking man, you can buy one. Mm. Anyone. Mm. I think that's great. Mm. I think that's fantastic, right? Like that. A person who's willing to put in effort, 
can buy awesome things. You know, if you were to think about that 150, 200 years ago, you're a serf in Europe or you were some kind of a peasant somewhere, right? Living on someone else's land, a stable boy, what are you, you're done for, man. You're never eating that steak. You're never riding that horse. Mm. It's not yours. These so, things are untamed. stuff, so, right? How does this link to the, that business, launching that? Well, it just like, I saw, I saw better in America, but I still remember Australia because I finished high school in Turkey, right? But I'd done year eight in Australia. Uh-huh. So I had glimpses of things. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm like, I don't have to do aerospace engineering in the US and work 40 hours a week and do 20 hours of schooling and pay these fees and whatever. I can just go back to Australia and now with what I know, start a business there while I'm going to uni and kill it. Well, I don't have to pay for university. Like, um, I saw the, the differences. So you're in the US at, at college. I was like 18, yeah. So I only stick in Europe as well. But you're, I lived in France for a while in between. <laughs> and then after that, I sort of went, no, 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 Europe's not for me. I'm going to go to Australia. Back to Australia. Right. But you're in the US. Mm. You're at uni slash college. Yeah. Depending on which language you're talking. And... I was doing aerospace engineering, which I loved, but I didn't want to actually become an aerospace engineer. I wanted to know how things flew. I went to, you know, space exploration has always interested me. I wanted to, you know, I still want to, I still want to, I want to go to other planets. Mm. That's my, that would be, I think 250 years ago, you know, if I was in England, I want to go to Australia. Yeah. Right. And I think that's no different to wanting to go to Mars now. Mm. Probably not as a convict, but you know, mm. I'd like to, as a, as a settler or something like that, I'd, I'd love to come. I would love to have gone. Really explore. I think about it. You get on a ship, you, yeah. three, four months. It's wild, man. It like wild. real crazy. And like, yeah. you can, I think we discount in Australia, we discount that experience a lot. We don't yeah. talk about you know, there's a dark, there's a really dark side to Australian history with how the First Nations people were treated, even just up until the 50s and 60s with yeah. the last year. It's disgusting. I agree. There is, however, like a really beautiful side to stuff that's not part of uh, the human experience. And you can see the sadness in the people who did come here and the way they built buildings. You can read some of the stuff that they wrote. It's the same language, how they missed home, you know. You've said it when we went on a hike, like they picked this spot here because it looks like England, mm. you know? And you, I, I think if you understand that a little, you can see that there's a, there's, there's a real human experience. Like you can walk through the cobblestone streets of Melbourne and you can see the chisel marks of the convicts where they worked on the blue stuff. People just step all over and walk past them, but if you look carefully, they're there. The lines are there. Well, the circle marks for where they stomped the work at the end of the day. I, you, it's... I, I don't. I think you got to really appreciate what it took for you to be sitting here right now. So, I love this answer, but I think for a lot of people, they might find it. And we'll just on on the question. I think what I love from your responses are the side missions, man. Well, it's all about the side missions. And I think that's it. Yeah. Makes the story great. Yeah. Well, I think that that's probably what it, if you're going to sit in an interview with you, and I think that's probably why. As we start to go into deeper in this conversation, in terms of what is so striking about you is that you might ask you to pass the butter. 
but you end up talking about the kitchen design, you know what I mean? As an analogy or a metaphor. And it's like, and there's so much to it. And I think for you, that makes perfect sense. For most people, they're just genuinely interested in the answer. Ask A, get B. And I think that if that almost epitomizes, I think, you is what my take on it is that actually there's always more depth to it. There's always there's always like the the onion yeah layer. I mean I didn't I didn't go to school to learn to answer the test. Yeah. That's I never I don't care about that. I never did. I'm not interested in it whatsoever at all. I don't care about the test result. Mm. Um I like I said I I did aerospace engineering to understand how stuff flies really 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 fast. That's, that's what I was interested in, brother. I, I, I wanted to know that. I love speed. I always have. And that's why the computers are made are the fastest. For the exact same reason. That's 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 the speed part of it, right? So help me out. It just doesn't stand the car. It's just, just the nuts and bolts for now. You're at uni in the US. Yeah. You're they going far out. I don't need to spend this money on fees. What I could be doing is I could be back in Australia. Yeah. Building a business whilst... Yeah, because I'd I'd been exposed to how businesses run, and you know Americans are Americans are, are great. I mean, the U.S. that I lived in Indiana was beautiful, right? People were really hospitable, very welcoming. Um, they didn't know much about the outside world, but they were really good people. They knew a lot about a lot of stuff, right? Like I bought this car for three hundred dollars back then, and one of the guys at work that I worked with. And he, he used to do like hot rods and things like that. And, you know, he, he, and there was no YouTube back then, right? Mm. So he's like, this is how you sand, this is how you feel, this is how you, you know, repair the rust. And I did an awful job on my car, right? And I butchered it. That was the first one that I did. And I think I spent like $50 on materials, yeah? But I cut out rust, I bogged it, filled it, sanded it, painted it, right? I just thought, hey, man, imagine you can do this. Never. Mm. Like, you can actually do anything. And this was, like, with 50 bucks. And I repaired the whole side of this car, and I sold it for 1100 bucks, right? And that was US dollars in 97, which, we, you know, it was, like, two grand. I, I was working $700, I think, for a week. Mm. And I was making good money, too, then. Like, you could, my car would fill up for five bucks. Wow. In the US at the time. Like, your burgers were still a dollar. Things were... Uh, it's not like that now over there, but mm. things back then were really affordable. It was a good time, man. I just thought to myself, wait a minute, why am I exchanging hours for money? I'm going to not do this. And I'm like, I'm never working hours for money. Okay. And degrees don't make you rich. Uh, I, I saw that, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but, you know, degrees made you interesting. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Degrees teach yeah. you stuff. Yeah. You can learn. Um, but if you're, you know, I think if you're studying a degree to make money, you, you really, you're wrong. It's, that's not, that's not what's going to work. Yeah. And I never did it for that anyway. Mm. So anyway, I ended up back over here after a Euro stint too. So you shelved it in the US. You were just like, it's not for me. I'm not doing this one. I was, I just thought that there was also a longing for Australia, right? I left it at 14. So it was this, I still had Melbourne in my heart. But this is where you're getting bullied, you're getting smashed, like, you, like, yeah, like, but like Australians, 
like it was a tough childhood, but it's not like I didn't have friends. Not everyone was horrible. Right. Like it was it was a difficult childhood, but uh, you know, it was still the eighties. Like you punch someone in the face, you beat him up enough, you became mates afterwards. <laughs> and that was the Australian way. Like you mm. you could fight about stuff and have you know fisties, and afterwards it was all right. Like mm. uh, Australians are pretty fair people. They're good people. You know? It's just I think. They were just probably racist because their parents, now that I realize, like, they were saying words that they definitely didn't hear on TV because it wasn't spoken on TV. It was coming from mom and dad. Mm. You know, and generational racism, everyone's racist, man. You can go to other countries. Yeah, I saw racism in Turkey. I saw racism everywhere. Mm. People are just afraid or, or, or it's easy to talk badly about someone that looks different, sounds different. I think the alternative to that is that we're all the same, which is like, would be a nightmare world to live in for me. Like, the biggest fear of mine would be to be exactly the same as someone else. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> Horrific. <laughs> Imagine we all ate the same stuff, look the same, or both the same, thought yeah. the same. How terribly uninteresting and boring. Mm. Horrible. You know, sorry. No, it's. I think God loves diversity. God does. If God doesn't make mistakes, why are we all different? Yeah, and there's, it's. Cool. No, we're not all supposed to be the same. We're not supposed to believe in the same stuff. I don't think it works that way. So, you come back. Yeah. You're what? Twenty now. Nineteen twenty. Uh yeah, like nineteen twenty. I got myself into. Uh, they didn't have aerospace engineering, so I got into mechanical engineering and. So you still saw value in a degree. That it, pressure was coming from my parents. Right. So I couldn't break to my parents. I couldn't like, I couldn't, couldn't let my family down by being the first person to not have a degree. Got you. I am still the only person who doesn't have a degree. I've had it all my cousins. You're such a letdown. Well, if the other stuff hadn't worked out, yes, <laughs> I would have been that. So that... <laughs> That was a that was the main driver there. So I sort of just dragged that along, barely went to class, just to say that I was a student. And then I I started selling cars from home. I I would like repair cars, fix them, you know, work with panel beaters, mechanics, whatever in between, do my own stuff too. So you're doing this. You're at you're at uni. Mm. You're doing this side hustle of cars. Yeah, well, I can say the uni became the side hustle. Uni became the side hustle. Oh, no, so it was, uni was getting in the way of the main business. 100%. Of, of. And when I was in the US, I worked for uh, parking services for the university. So we looked after all the, um, uh, like the, you know, the, the car park, the multi story car parking garage. I yeah. was like in charge of maintenance of, uh, you know, the boom gates and the ticket machine and all that type of stuff. So I'd fix them and work on them and like, uh, you know, or paint lines, or fold the road. I guess the US is wild, and they they uh, it was uh, they promoted me to manager of a maintenance team of four people. I was eighteen. The guys were like forty, fifty. <laughs> that was yeah. That was really. I'm still fifty fifty on that as to whether. That, I mean, I guess I was capable and all that, but I don't know how you'd feel about having an eighteen year old as a boss. You know. But what were you 50 on? As in whether it was a good idea? Whether that's a good management strategy or not. Let's stick an 18-year-old in there. Yeah. 
Mm. Like I think about these things, I'm like, was that the right thing to do? Doesn't matter how capable you are. I think there's an element of there's a human element too, right? Like I'm a big believer of meritocracy. That's the only way for me. If you deserve it, you should have it. But I think an 18 year old leading like a 55 year old, a 45 year old, and a 39 year old. Look, I'm still 18. <laughs> It's, it's <laughs> so we talked him maintenance, right? It's not. Hey, these are te- very technical things here. Like there, we, there was a lot of the ma- this was the maintenance of the entire university campus, and they're coming up the car parks of this of the like multi level car parks. There was seven or eight. So they come to you and say, "Hey, boss, we've got an issue with the you know." No, not really. They knew what to do. I can learn to them. Okay, so that's what I mean. It was kind of because. You know, we'd make the signs, the actual signs on the road, right. you know, like the stop signs, and yeah, yeah. we'd make them, you know, drive the poles into the ground. So, they were, I have great memories of that. You know, it's not something that I looked, it was something I did like part-time, which turned into full-time, then I still was doing uni as well. That's another thing. Like, I would, I had a full-time job and I went to uni full-time and I did lots of stuff mm. after hours as well. I, I still think I had, I had. Time. So you're in Australia now. You're building out this. Your side hustles become uni. Yeah. You're building this car up. Cars, and I was doing photocopies that I'd buy from the auction. <laughs> Big photocopies. <laughs> and you're flipping these? Is that right? Yeah. You're flipping them. So I'd put them in like there was this thing called a trading post. But hang on. So the whole purpose of these two is what? You just blink money. I'm just don't want to be broke. I just okay. I do not want to be broke. Okay. Like the struggle was real. Like so you're eating. I could make a meal for a dollar. I'd buy noodles that would work out to be thirty cents a pack. I'd buy the cheapest sausages you could and chop them up to just have a bit of protein. But then, and, like, I had no money. There's being broke though, or not wanting to be broke, and then there is actually making a significant. What you're talking about in terms of the numbers and the effort and, and the, the businesses you're talking about, that seems like it's a higher level. Because not being broke would be just to do the time for money game, right? Yeah, but like I also, if you can hack, I mean, if you can buy a private jet and you can be alive in an era where there are jets and then you don't want one, I think that's a shame. Like if, if I told you, if I told you, I think I read this somewhere, but the wildest thing to be able to explain to someone would be that if I went back in time and told some of those scientists, like Isaac Newton, some of these the greats, right? And I have a device that sits in my pocket. I heard this somewhere else. I can't remember who, was, who said it. The hardest thing to explain would be, I have this device in my pocket that has access to all the information ever, but I use it to look at pictures of cats. Mm-hmm. How would you explain that to someone who invented penicillin or the internal combustion engine, mm-hmm. which was, um, what's his name, Carl Benz? Was it Carl Brands or the Mercedes story? One of those guys said his daughter was unable to have access to medicine in Germany or Northern Europe. And, you know, the roads are frozen over, whatever, it was a winter. And she died because because the horses couldn't go through the cold. He's like, I'm going to make a mechanical horse that doesn't freeze in winter. You know, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone because he was trying to get his deaf wife to hear. Wow. Right. Like... You have to understand the misery that people went through to get 
to where we are. So if I can fly to London in 21 hours and not be in a wooden ship dying of scurvy, you know, during my five-month voyage, why would I not want to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think not wanting to be better is crazy. Yeah. Like, it's... But I, see, I think I, lo- I love that. And I'll, but I'd said it's, it's almost, even as the way you explain it, it's like, it's crazy that you don't think that. Although you would not well, think that. And I think that's what makes you very unique and special in that, in that regard. Well, around that time, Fast and Furious had come out and I wanted an RX-7 mm. because the, the rotary engine, uh, people are, not the blinging car, it's the way the rotary engine works. Um, it's a triangle piston on the inside that spins like a, a washing machine or a dryer, right? It doesn't have pistons that go up and down. It's a cylindrical spin. And when I heard about it and I saw it and I saw them running on the street, I was like, I have to get one. They were a lot, <laughs> especially for someone who broke. <laughs> so the businesses were to buy things like that. Yeah, you know, I wanted to have access to those things. I wanted to be able to. So it's not about being pro, it's actually about, about, it was, arguably. It was a tool to have access to the best. Things that I thought were extremely interesting. Yeah. And I wanted to have, just because I was curious about them, I just thought that they could do, you know, being able to, if I have eyes and brain, hands, feet, and we can go to the moon. Why am I sitting here? Mm. But I think it speaks to like the pinnacle, right? The cutting edge, could be, you could say. Maybe not pinnacle because I'm not sure you'd describe it as, as the pinnacle, but the... For a rotary engine, for a 1.3 litre engine, it's the pinnacle of performance for 1.3 litres. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> so, <But> it's, yes, <laughs> it's always the pinnacle. So you might, other people might not be able to see it, Yeah, but that doesn't matter. And I think... That speaks to your psyche. So tell me, you're running these car flipping business, which you wouldn't necessarily describe as the pinnacle of that space, maybe. Well, I got to apply a lot of the stuff that I was learning that I was interested in. You know, I got to really play around with different engines, cars, vehicles. I was so mechanically doing them up? Yeah, I was fixing them. Like I was buying trash and fixing it. So right. And trannies, whatever. Okay. So yeah. physically, personal internet, yeah. all that. Well, if I could... Do it for less, I'd do it. If I could get someone else to do it for less, I'd get them to do it. So, you know, I'm like, okay, if I could do this in 12 hours and save 800 bucks, I'll do it. Right. If not, well, this guy knows how to do it. Or if I'm like, I need to learn how to do this because this seems to be a common thing, I'm going to give this one a go. So how many did you end up doing? <laughs> the statue of liabilities passes. I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> It'd be in the more than 200, maybe like 300. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that. It worked out of time for it. I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I had probably like four to six cars at any time. And you run it out of your house? Yeah. Like at your parents' house? No, no. My parents went here. It was by myself. Okay. Everybody thought I was a drug deal. Okay. <laughs> Everyone, because a lot of my friends were also in the car game. A lot of them were quite wealthy. So they had like Porsches and, you know, NSXs and a lot of like supercars. And they'd come around just because we were like car peaking. Right. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure people thought it was a pretty rough neighborhood too. Okay. And I think 
I never had any problems because mm. there was a lot of noise coming from where we were. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's a decent business. You're turning out everybody cash. Yeah. I was, I was living good. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not afraid to do hard work. You got the, no. you got the RX-7? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the Super and uh, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Cool. So where from there? Um, Like, how did this evolve into the computer business and well, that? Also, like, because I was studying engineering, the guys in the engineering department would ask me to build their computers for them. What? Because I could. So I'd just tell them, you buy all the parts, you know, and give me 100, 150, 200 bucks or whatever back then. And it's better than working somewhere for 10 hours a day. And this is coming from the knowledge you picked up in the US? Um, this is both like a little bit of like from my childhood, high school, just sort of, I really learned how to fix, build, upgrade computers from like when I was seven or eight years old. Right. It's from my dad. Okay. So after my mum brought back that monochrome screen laptop from Kodak, which was, people literally came from the whole suburb around our house mm. to have a look at one. Dad went and bought a computer for around the same price as a car. Wow. And then people came around the house again to see that. Wow. So that's when I really, you know, got into it. And then we had a computer lab in Turkey. And I was, in, and the teachers there had asked me to like upgrade the RAM and stuff, and f- and I'd, and play around with the computers there. And some of the, the kids in class had computers, and my friends had computers. And we were just sort of like PC enthusiasts. And I worked at my first job, and only job, besides parking services at uni, and that uh, was my first first job was uh, it was called Electronics Boutique back then, not EB Games. It's called. And they used to sell computer software and stuff. It's like EB Games. But it used to just be called Electronics Boutique. It's a computer, but you go and buy games. Yeah, but there was no games then. Half the shop was programs. Right. And the half were games too. Okay. And I worked there and and I've always been around like IT and computers and stuff like that. But having that computer at the price of a car would have been, that sounds like that that was a big deal for you. A big deal for everyone. Right. But, you know, it's probably didn't really realize it until later because dad could have bought him the latest model new car. Yeah. But, you know, he had an old 79 model, whatever, station wagon. And this, this is, what, 87, 88 or something, 86, I don't know, around then. And he went and bought a car. He went and bought, instead of buying a new car, he went and bought a PC. Which would have been like, a, that's a wild, crazy-ass thing to do, right? My dad said back then that the su- he called it the super information highway is what the future was going to be. He said information is going to, he, he said information and the way information is going to be shared is going to be done through these things. That's what he said. Right. You need to learn this. Wow. And he was right. Like I had a whole stint back then as well. Like we got into a lot of trouble. It's another story. And two. 91, 92, we used to got caught up with a whole bunch of hackers. Back then there was like a bulletin board system, like you'd work on PBS, it was a precursor to the internet. Hacked into military bases. Well, yeah. Well, I've checked with the solicitor and why now, so I'm not legally liable because you can't retrospectively charge. But back then there were no internet laws. Right. So I didn't break any laws because they didn't exist. Got it. Um, but what we'd do is we would we had these, it was called telecom back then, which is like the 
through, like Telstra, the national carrier. There were these codes you could punch into the phone and you'd get, you could make free calls internationally. And what we would do is we would hack into what's only army barracks. And it was a, it was a denial of service attack. The same attack today, instead of 400,000 ports, there were 18 ports which were 18 physical phone lines going into the main frame server. Right. So each phone line was one port. It's the same attack today. The internet is the exact same as what computers were back there, right? Just on a larger scale. And we all dial in, and the last person to dial in is a fail-safe. Rather than it ringing busy, would just fall over and let you in. And then that person would get in, set the password, and let everyone in. And we'd message to each other through, like, the chat system and give us a password, and, and Watsonia back then was connected to the Watsonia Army Barracks, was connected to the Pentagon, the actual Pentagon, right? And Pentagon was connected to NASA. And um, I didn't realize, or I didn't know up until probably about 10 years ago, Julian Assange was part of that. So, And I only figured that out when I saw him on TV because his username was Mendex. Mendax or Mendex, something like that. And I just had this spin out moment because there was this underage disco thing called the blue light disco and they used to meet up around that area and would coordinate days and times you gotta remember there's no phone like there's no mm. mobile phones or whatever right so we'd coordinate in person and he was older than me and us but he'd he'd obviously like read the reports and that i was still a kid like he was reading reports from golf one the first golf four horrible stuff like, children and women being incinerated. Because you're getting access to this information. You're reading General's reports. Wow. They had full access. It was in the internal medications. Wow. We were just doing dumb shit like, um, well, I'm embarrassed to say, like, but we we knocked out a NASA satellite. We just we deleted everything. We thought it'd be fun. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's really reckless of me to do that, but it made the news at the time. Wow. And then um, some uh, one of the the soldiers came around our house, my house, with two policemen, and I was, and he said, you know, my dad invited him in. And he said, and dad goes, John, come downstairs, you know. Went downstairs, and I'm like, what's that? I'm like, whoa, who's this? You know, a soldier in uniform and stuff, like an officer. But I don't know what type of officer. And he said. You know, did you hack into, uh, or did you dial into whatever, whatever, whatever? I don't remember exactly. And I looked at my dad. I'm like, Dad, if you want me to answer this or not, you know. And dad said, you can answer it. And I go, yeah, I did. And he goes, what did you do? And so I told him, because we had these 1.2 kilobyte moments that were, I bought it at a swap meet with my pocket money that I'd saved up from... <laughs> Uh, I used to, I was, I used to buy radio control cars off the people at school, fix them, and then sell them in the trading post to make extra cash because I could. Because yeah. the kids couldn't fix them, they're like twenty or forty bucks. I'd go, I say, what do you want for it? Go, forty bucks. I go, all right, I'll buy it. And they go, yeah, what do you got? I'm gonna fix it. I'd fix it and sell it for 150 bucks. I think the modem was like 120. It was a big money back then. Mm. This is not a small amount. My parents were like middle class, working people with mortgages, you know. They're definitely not poor, but like if they, I couldn't have gone, hey, mom, buy me a modem. Like it's not, mm. 
not a type of thing that they could just whip out. Like these were these were big purchases. Uh, anyway, back to the the, the soldier. What did he do? He said, "Oh, do you want to come down to the?" Uh, he goes, "Come down to the barracks and you sh- show me what you did." And my dad goes, "Hang on, mate. I think you can get stuffed or something like that." Yeah, it was the eighties, man. Oh, minus like early nineties, later. You know, still the same sort of culture. You could talk to each other like that, and it was all right. And he goes, "Can you can you cut?" And my dad goes, "Mate, is when he's eighteen, you can talk to him about it. Then until then, get stuffed type of thing, right?" That's what he said. And the guy goes, all right. He goes, fine. He goes, can you promise me something? And I go, what's that? He goes, can you just promise me not to do it again? <laughs> and I said, I promise. <laughs> and I never did. <laughs> that was the defense. Wow. That was what you call security. Can you promise not to do it again? Wow. And I said, yes. Wow. And that was it. And I never did. I never did do it again. Then some of the other guys went off and they started like breaking into like the universities and using the computer labs there because there was like 30, 40 computers and they were using them to dial in, right? Then we need us to do it. Mm. But a whole bunch of kids got in a lot of trouble. One of the kids had, at, the, he, at the end of year eight, he had to move schools, my main friend. <laughs> and because of that, like 12 year olds or something. Well, he was ooh, well, 14 or 13 or 14. Mm. And he his mum was like a, politician or counselor or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I ended up going to Turkey after that. So my my whole I had a computer break there. Good. Yeah. But the city was certainly It was a very different scene. It was very hot and wild. Like you could go to I remember going to like swap beats and yeah. people would swap swap it was Microsoft was evil because they sold software. Yeah. You know software was freeware. Software was free, man. People would develop software not to sell it for the betterment of mankind. Mm. Like Wikipedia type thinking, you know? Yeah. Like shareware it was called. Shareware is what it was called. Or freeware, shareware, shareware. And Microsoft were evil because they was trying to sell and mess us. Mm. You know? And and they did arrest us. And, and uh, then he took off because he did a royalty deal with IBM. But that's not how software was viewed, and you know. And I got, I got the Bob Lazar tapes. I don't know if you know what Bob Lazar is. Um, Bob Lazar was someone who worked at Area Fifty One, and he's the first guy to say that he worked on UFOs, actual UFOs, right? And this was like eighty-nine or ninety. I first got this tape, and this guy was explaining how you can fold space-time. And go through like a wormhole from one point to another point. He was talking about how UFOs work and how intergalactic space travel would work. And he was talking about element one 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 fifteen and the periodic table of elements didn't go up that high because I knew my mum was a chemical engineer. And I used to ask her, "What is this?" You know, and that—that's the type of stuff that was shared. And the bubbles are thing. Kept quietly following that in the back of my mind because it'd been 10 years. And then in 2001, 2002, we came up with Element 115. So, and I was like, hey, Bob was right. It does exist. You know, it took 10 years. And then, um, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a whole, we could talk about that stuff for another 20 years, but that's a completely separate thing. But the, you know, the aerospace angle 
Interest was always there for that reason as well. So you're at uni, you're flipping cars, you're doing two, three hundred a day. That's back when we're back in Australia. Everyone thinking you're a druggie. Drug dealer, sorry. Oh, everyone always thinks whatever. Okay. They can only, people can only imagine what, people can only think what they can imagine themselves. Yeah. 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 Like, they can't imagine um, the business. They can only imagine what they think rich people do. So where did they come, where did this come, computer piece come back in there? So I used to do the desktop computers in the engineering department for the engineers. And everyone was a student, didn't have a lot of money, so it was about getting maximum performance for buck, right? Bang for buck. Mm. But we needed performance for for two-dimensional two drawings into three-dimensional rendering. So when you're just a student and this union qualified people and they're just telling to you because they've figured out you know a bit more about computers than they uh, you know everyone in the engineering department everyone's doing interesting stuff mm. you're talking to people who are smart mm. they're smart as well right and they're modifying their own there's a whole bunch of hobbies people modifying stuff I just come up with a better way to do engineering computers and I'd tell them hey you should use this part that part this part and some of the students were like man I don't know how to do this can you just do it for me I'm like sure Here's a list. Go to this shop, buy all these parts, drop it off at my house. I'll put it together for you for 150 bucks. No worries, you know. And I'd be like, all right, I'll do that for two hours, three hours. Why not? One hour, 45 minutes by the end of it. Mm. I better than working 10 hours somewhere, you know. Mm. And I'd rather, I mean, I didn't even have a TV. I'd rather do that than watch free day TV. Mm. I didn't have a TV in my... So this is how the computer business... What happened was, there was a mutual friend of mine, he was doing an intern, really, really smart guy. This is how it happened. He said to me, I've got this laptop, because you know about computers, I don't know about computers, but he was doing an internship at Microsoft. And he's like, they're going to give me a new laptop, they told me to keep this old laptop. And I said, all right, I don't know much about laptops, right? This was like 2000. No, 99? 2000. This is 2000? Pre-September 11, yeah, 2000. Goes, maybe it was 2001. I don't know, it's around then, right? He said, you sell this for me. I don't know how to sell it because you sell stuff. Because I'd sold some mobile phones, photocopiers, whatever, right? And just whatever I can sell, fix and sell, you know? I said, all right, man. I go, what do you want for it? He goes, 800 bucks. I said, cool. So I go, I'll sell for whatever, I'll give you $800 and I'll see how I go. So I grabbed the trading post, which was like my Thursday morning. It used to come out Thursday morning. I'd go pick that up pre, pre-eBay. pre So trading post for today's market would be what? That's like classifieds. So okay. trading post is like, it was just this paper, a newspaper that come out every Thursday. And it just had lines of stuff. Okay. You'd put your car in there. It was like eBay. But you couldn't bid, obviously. You'd have an icing price and you'd call up Thursday morning if something was hot and you'd try and buy it. like a BMW X3 or something. Um, half of it was like cars. The other half of it was everything else. So BMW 3 Series, mobile phone number. Like, it's red, mobile phone number. BMW 318, 1986 model, blah, blah, blah. This two owners, you know, good condition. Cool. About $18,000 phone number. Got it, okay. That's how everyone sold everything. This is pre-eBay. So eBay hadn't come out here. It wasn't big. Yeah. And and things were not digital. Sure. Um, so that was the most exciting thing that I looked at every Thursday morning. 
<laughs> like and I'm not going to school. But that was that was for me opportunity to buy stuff and where I took my stuff to sell. Yeah. Really? And that's where I sold my photocopy and these photocopies are the size of cars. <laughs> oh huge. Like not I'm not talking about so photocopies didn't look like photocopies now. So you stole it. The size of cars. <laughs> small cars. Like a small car, right? Picking them up or they drop it. Who's dropping? Both. I'd, sometimes I'd have to pick them up. A house? Yeah. And you're like in a pretty normal suburban. I'm in a terrible neighborhood. <laughs> in a one bedroom unit. So the side of the no. You're storing... In the living room. I didn't have a TV. I had one desk with a computer on it. And the rest of the whole house was just storage of stuff. Photocopiers. Mostly photocopies inside. And the cars are outside. Cars are all outside. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how mobile phones and that too. It was all Nokia stuff back then. Okay, cool. Um, so this guy is a sell this. Yeah, seller. I don't know. Anyway, I got the trading post. And I've never looked at laptops, right? And I look and I'm like, this bowl, like, that must be a mistake. This guy wants three grand for it. Similar one. Was it NEC something, right? Three grand, three and a half, eight hundred. I'm like, whatever. I'll give you a go. You know, go add a cell phone, like a mobile phone. Mobile phones are out. Yeah, so I placed the ad. And the way you place the ad is you'd call up and you'd read out. Wait, what? What you want printed and then, and you'd pay for it like that, right? Or you could. I think by then you could start placing the ad online, but it was starting to change, right? Which is weird, like you're placing an ad online for something to come out in print. Yeah, yeah. Like, Anyway, I'm like, whatever, put it in for 2600 see what happens. Yeah. I think that Thursday morning, I got more than 30 phone calls by 9am to buy this laptop for 2600 And I just went... Holy crap. I said, because if I put a car in there that was like 10 grand, that cost me $8,000, right? I might get two phone calls if it's a good deal that week. I got 30 plus phone calls by 9 a.m. I was like, if I had 30 of these laptops, I would have sold 30 of these laptops today and made $1,800 off each one. I was like, that's it. I'm mm. never going to school ever again. I'm like, that's 50. I said, as far as an engineer, I'd make 50 grand a year. If I had 30 of these laptops this week, I would have made 50 grand this week. Yeah. Okay. I'm not doing school no more. That's when I decided. Right. And I'm like, and this is what I'm going to do. So I caught that way, but I, I didn't have a lot of capital. Like the capital I had was the cars and borrowed off people and, you know, Selling one car a week, two cars a week, and making a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars, yeah, it's great. Like I was making more money than everyone else. Like you know, people weren't making a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a week back then. But you still got to buy another car for eight grand. Yeah, like it's not. Yeah, yeah. and then you got six cars floating around. Not not that easy, right? Yeah. So I just said that that's my mission. So I started. Buying laptops of people from the trading post, using the trading post to buy broken laptops. I was maybe able to source five a week by the time I repaired them. I was, you know, tripling my money on each one, but I was only doing five. I'm like, this is way too slow, way too slow, way too slow. So I discovered auctions, headset rebust, headset airlines. I don't know if you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Hansen Airlines had just gone bust, right? And they had the IBM 560X laptops. I still remember the model number. These things were like six or seven thousand dollars new. Okay. So in today's my it's like twelve grand or something, right? Wow. Yeah. More maybe. You know, expensive top of the line. And they had them on pallets. That's how many there were at the auction house of ancient assets that were blown off, right? They were selling them for between three hundred to five hundred dollars each. Wow. But you had to buy them in pallets. Wow. I went and I was only able to buy one pallet. Okay, for like I can't remember. Bought maybe like a hundred of them. That was my big break, right? Because to get out of these five units a week, something, and I got like a hundred of them. Mm. And I was probably able to turn about a hundred of them, maybe eighty of them, into like two thousand dollars each. What? You know, that was my first break where I'm turning fifty grand to like 150, 160 grand, right? Mm. But one guy walked up, rocked up. And he bought the remaining nine pallets. And I was like, God damn, this dude just made a million. Mm. And I watched him make a million in front of me. Go ahead. You know? That's when I understood. I'm like, you're just poor, Joe. You're poor, you're broke, you don't have the capital. Mm. And the dude has capital. And I borrowed money from everyone, too, to get that 50 grand. Okay, yeah. Like, I, I beat on it and I had to pay for it the following two days. I sold my RX-7 like for 11 grand. My best friend, his life savings, he, you know him, and he gave me, yeah, he gave me money. Another guy I know gave me five grand. Another guy I know is actually one of my son's soccer friend's dads who's in the same team now. He barely even knew me. He lent me like five grand. Well, he trusted me. Yeah, yeah. And I pulled them together 50. And they really helped out, right? It's like, you can't do anything by yourself. Mm. I also had a whole bunch of people at school, at university I had employed. Help with the cars, the photocopies, whatever. There's like two or three guys that would I'd be like, listen, come help me move this copy. I'll give you a hundred bucks. Tom. Like, so it was that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a beneficial for people who want to make money. I get it. You know, it was a good good thing. Mm. Anyway, but I switched to that. I ditched the cars, ditched everything. Cool, yeah. And then that turned into me like contacting IBM Global Financing, which was the financing that eventually I went through all the auctions. I started clearing out all the auction houses. You know, every week, all these ex-lease laptops that come up in the lease and the stuff that wasn't good that dump into the auction house. Broken, faulty, whatever. So I was able to pick up 20 or 30 laptops a week, right? Through the auction houses outside of that IBM deal. Mm. But I was never able to get more than... So I'd gone from being able to collect five a week to 20 or 30 and but the the answer deal was like a big one and that didn't no another one like that didn't come around but that gave me enough capital to buy the 20 or 30 laptops that i needed every week right i was now no longer needing to borrow money paid everyone off gave everyone back their money now i had money right and i was starting to turn over money too and i was like hang on my you know my my student allowance from the government all that's going to go everything's gone now, right? I was like, this is time. I'm going to start doing tax returns, financials, this company. You mainly just doing your repair and your 2030 yourself? Yeah. Okay, so it's mainly just a one-person outfit. Always. Yeah. Okay, a few people helping you move printers, etc. Uh, I mean, like, the laptops, like, back then, some of the screens were broken. You couldn't... There was no internet, man. You couldn't order parts. So there was internet, but... 
couldn't find parts for these laptops. So anyway, to do it was like, I knew a guy who was an ex, this was before the Ericsson plant and Broadmeadows closed down. He had a microsonar, like this giant machine. Yeah, this, this is stuff like out of science fiction books, right? You look through a, like a, um, like a, what is that called, man? Microscope. It's got like a microscope and there's these two giant knobs and you turn them and it moves like a 0 0.01 of a millimeter mm. and you could solder. And if you look at a TFT screen, like an LCD screen, there's, you know, pixels are lines going vertical and horizontal and where they meet is with the pixels, right? The wire at the top's busted. You, you can't solder that by hand. But you can if you have a microsolder. Right. And, I, and I've dropped that laptop off to him. You know, and he charged me three hundred dollars to fix the screen. Go yeah. Which is better than paying nine hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for a new screen. That's how much a screen was. Go yeah. Screen now is maybe two, three hundred bucks, right? Or a hundred hundred, hundred and fifty dollars for Australian dollars, eighty US, you know, up to depending if it's a homemade panel or whatever. Back then a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for a panel. Just the panel on the laptop. Yeah. So I'd drop it off to that guy. He'd repair those ones. Then, um, like the the cases, if they were cracked or broken, you couldn't buy a broken case. Mm. I'd take it to a panel shop, and I'd get it bold, sanded, filled like proper panel job, mm. repaired properly at a panel shop, an auto panel shop. Mm. I got really good at these X lease laptops. They used to have the security seal, and when they'd come off lease, they'd just you know, the security lock would be stuck to the screen. Mm. And when you broke it off, underneath it, it said, warning, this laptop is stolen. Mm. In, like, embedded into this, the back panel. No one's going to buy that, right? Mm. They had clear tidying. The laptop were legitimate. It's just when they broke the security thing off, and at least the book value was $0, right? Yeah. So they're throwing it at the auction house. They don't care what happens to it. Sure. So what I used to do is I used to sand the lid, fill it with body filler, and then respray it. Wow. Right? I'd do that myself because I've learned that from doing cars. <laughs> I was the first person in the world, I believe, to produce a glossy laptop lid cover. What? Because back then, all laptops were that real dull plastic. Good. And then that came out with that piano finish later, right? What? But I used to do piano finish laptops, which were not standard. And whenever anyone saw that, they fall in love with it, and that's the one that they would buy. Wow. Yeah? And I figured that out later. Um, anyway, the laptop thing turned into <laughs> contacting IBM. Got in contact with oh, IBM Global Financing. This is before they sold their... That sounds like a massive bleep, right? And you're a small Australian outfit. Well, not even that. You're a one-man show. Oh, I started calling up the auction saying, can you send me the list and what's coming? Right. And I figured out soon after that it was IBM Global Financing because all the asset tags were still on the laptops. Right. So IBM Global Financing were financing these laptops for Pricewaterhouse computers, Telstra, whatever, right? Okay. So all the big firms... The IBM aren't taking them back. They're just giving them off to an auction hole. Well, these were... Yeah, that's right. So they were financed. They'd finance the computers for these corporates. Yeah. And at the end of the lease, they'd take them back. Okay. Right, because they, they own the asset. And they would lease it to, so they, they gift it to the, oh, so they give it to the auction house, the auction house does their job. They don't know, they don't yeah. Okay. So after a while, the guys at the auction house were like, when I call up to them, this is the guy who buys all of them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, this is during the list. 
Go ahead. In advance. It wasn't enough. So I started, you know, calling, 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 calling. And eventually I got a hold of guys who were giving it to the auction house. Right. I said, hey, I wanted to send you some fees. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You give me the list. I have to buy it off you and pay in cash in advance. You don't have to wait for auction. You don't have to wait for any. No questions asked. You give me the list on Excel. I'll send you back the price. You agree. I'll buy all of them. And I would just give them a take all because I figured out what they were getting at auction because I've right. been going to auction for how long? Yeah. I knew what fees they were paying, right? So I knew the in-between number. Sure. I'm like, this is what it gets at auction. Save them. These are the fees. Save them. Save them 10%. And I was cutting out all my competitors who were going to the auction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, yeah. I did 10%. That was so close, but... Well, 15%. What about? You know, 10 to 15%. But all, not just that, you know... You won't get a clear sale. This was guaranteed. Right. Here's another, not everything would sell. You busted it. Okay. So I was giving a full, no question, I was buying all the busted stuff too. Go oh, yeah. But my purpose of doing that was I was cornering the inventory. Yeah. So on certain models, I was setting what the price was after. It bit out. Yeah, okay. It's like this particular HP I knew was garbage. This particular Shindle Portage was good. This particular compact laptop was trash, right? But I knew that if I bought all of these, I knew those Toshiba Portages, which were like, uh, they were the ultimate thin and ultra light. They were made out of magnesium alloy, actually. Like a lot like this, the Venom Black Book 014 Phantom now yeah. that we've launched, right? And premium materials, magnesium, uh, there was that, you know. And they were like 12 grand, 15 grand new. Second hand, five years old, that was still $3,000. And less than a kilogram. Like, the only thing that today's tech is like that far ahead of everything else. Just, it was the same sort of thing, just slower. Mm. But premium was still premium. External port replicators. And so IBM, the finance guys, they They finance Toshiba, whatever. They don't care. Okay. IBM Global Financing is, is why IBM stopped making computers. In the same way like GE Finance. GE used to make F-16s and engines and fridges and light bulbs, right? The second they started behaving like a bank because there was more money to be made out of financing equipment, they stopped being an industrial powerhouse. Same thing happened to IBM. IBM, who used to make their own ThinkPads, probably was making more money out of the consulting and the financing division where it's like, well, we don't care. We just need to finance stuff. They just carried their manufacturing out. Well, they sold it to... Yeah. Anyway, before we get there, uh, so I started buying all their computers. And we're, we're talking, we're talking now, their laptops, we're talking uh, every week, second week, 100, 200, bigger numbers now, right? right. But I'm able to consume all of them. I sell all of them. And they saw no problem with that. Well, I started selling them on eBay. eBay came out, right? And in 2002, 2003, I was eBay Australia's... Biggest seller by dollar volume, right across all categories. That's how big this was. Got ya. Right, we're talking big revenue. I'm a company now, still operating from that same one bedroom home, by the way. Wow. Yeah. No, they don't just you. Uh, I'd had like one or two guys from school. Okay. Who who I pay to fix it, help stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I still do most of it. I'm, I'm working 12, 14 hours a day. I don't care. And it was a big buzz. It was exciting, right? It's not a, this is a serious thing now. So, for your first was like 50, 80 units. And as, once we got to 100, 200, it was time to go. Um, what happened was, 
So I'm advertising trading posts and eBay, but I kept both going at the same time. Right. Uh, but the thing was, if I listed more than 40 or 50 laptops at eBay, my average sale price would drop by like 20%. Mm. So there was a limit to how much eBay would, it was able to absorb back mm. then, right? So between this trading post and I'm just trying to remember, I know eBay's number was, my magic number was 30 units. Because if I had, you know, I didn't do multiple accounts and all that sort of dodgy stuff. I was like, I'd, happy to have one account good feedback i'd have you know i'd figured out the certain days certain hours got better you know there was a whole metric thing that was going on there was a limit to like 30 units a week that i could do are you selling to individual in this punk or you said yeah no, i don't know you know so didn't care and didn't, yeah whatever you know and then just the, the question i i don't need to know that like got it um but it got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to, I can't do this from home anymore. Like, you know, this is wild. All sorts of strange people come to my house now because some people were weird. And like, you know, they'd come back, knock on your door at 10 o'clock at night and saying, oh, for the computer doesn't work. I'm like, listen, man, I've got no problem fixing your thing. I'm not, I'm not here to rip you off, but it's a computer. It's second hand. It's 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, it's 10 o'clock at night, right? Yeah. When you're a shop, people don't do that. Yeah. Come back at 9 a.m. But when you're a house, like that was where I drew the line. Yeah. I value my privacy mm. and my time. Mm. Yeah. See, so, and um, yeah, so I set up a shop, laptops.com.au and notebooks.com.au domain names. Back then, generic domain names under the .com.au prefix were blo blocked. So, and the Australian D Domain Association, AUDA, what it was called. I don't know who regulates it now. They released the domain names. And I registered a company name called Mobile Laptops and Notebooks because you could buy generic domain names only if the generic domain name related to your business name. And they were going to put these domain names up for auction because they'd been blocked out. I wanted laptops.com.au and notebooks.com.au. They were the they were the ones, right? So I bought them for like seven thousand dollars and fifteen thousand dollars each. But to make sure I was eligible for the domain names, I had no shop. By the way, this is from my house. One bit from house. Yeah, one bit from house. Bang! That's a lot of money back then, right? For sure. And I registered mobile laptops and that's where my name came. Yeah. And I only did register that name just so I could buy those domain names. Right. Because the original business was notebooks.com.au. Got it. That's what I built it on, right? And what happened was eBay, I went to the eBay conference representing Australia. eBay brought me over to New Orleans. This was before Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> and it was to help develop and improve eBay. That's I was a representative for the tech section. To what? And so I worked with the developers there. To you know, what? How could eBay be better, right? Anyway, when I came back to Australia, I thought, man, that was wild, fun, good. I said, you know what? I'm going to call up my last 200 customers and ask them where they bought their notebook from. I called them all up, and my eBay user ID was notebooks.com.au back then, right? And I said, I just call them to test. I just wanted to say, where'd you buy a laptop from? I bought it on eBay. I bought it on eBay. I bought it on eBay. Not one person sent them board from me. And I went, hang on a minute. What's your eBay bill? My eBay bill was massive. Mm -hmm. Eating eBay fees and whatever. Like, I'm spending all of this money 
and not a single person has acknowledged that they bought this laptop off me. Mm. Do all this work, fixing these things, doing power work, pairs, putting love, effort, pimping these machines out, upgrading their RAM, doing a whole bunch of stuff, right, that no one's doing. And all of the acknowledgement, I'm paying for it too, it's going to eBay. I said, you know what? I could take that money that I spend on eBay a week, which is like six grand. A bit of a shop. I can spend $3,000 on the trading post mm. and have half a page. I'll be the biggest ad in the trading post. The biggest. I would be the biggest. I want to to lose. So that's what I did. I went and found a really cheap shot. The landlord was a really, really good guy. I'm still friends with him now. He actually built the shop for me, helped me. My car worked with him. Old school, yeah? Tiled it, this, that. Oh. Gave me a chance. This is what I mean by Ika. Now we talk about business you know, mm. all the time, right? Like you and I, we talk about business all the time. Yeah. You have to work with other people mm. and you gotta give people a chance. And a lot of people give me a chance. Mm. And a lot of people help me out. Steve, he would upset his wife and he's like, and he would stay there till 10, 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I just met this guy, <laughs> right? And you're in the shop together. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I love it at night, you know? And I'm going to pay him 250 bucks or something rent a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like 2002. So this all of this is happening in like 18 months, 12 months, right? And he owns lots of commercial real estate, or he just owns this one shop? Oh. I own stuff, but it's still my place to talk about what he owns, you know? Um, but, you know, he's he's a well, he's just an always, he's a good guy. Good guy. Right? I'm still friends with him. We're still friends catch up every now and then and he did a lot for me helped me out gave me a chance he's like you know now i'm looking at it as some 21 year old guy yeah you know you're gonna lease the shop to him like mm. oh like what i do that you know mm. anyway he did and um i put this massive banner up enormous banner notebooks.com across the entire balcony on top that shop is actually an atm now that's how big it is it's an ATM. Wow. That's the side. That's what it is. Look, that's the massive banner. It's on top of the building. There's like an entrance to the left. There's like a, a like a Turkish Greek donut shop thing, small on the side. And in the middle where my entrance was is an ATM. Wow. All right. Just one? Just one ATM. Okay. And around it is all blocked out. It's like a very small shop. Like, <laughs> very, very small. I um, think call it a cupboard by the side of the legs. Oh, it's, look, it's probably, you know, as big as this room, healthy, all right? So we're talking about five by five meters. Yeah, um, I put this massive ad in, you know, and then I built- The trading post? Yeah. To look better. Trading post. Right. And I put notebooks.com there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Built a website. Yeah. You know, uh, I already had the website. And you've shared pick it out at this point. You told them stick it or you just- Zero. Zero. You can eBay. Can do. Immediately. Wow. Right, and then I did all these glass shelves. Yeah. Okay. And I did like vertically five. Okay. Okay. And I put all the laptops on it facing the road. Yeah. The screens open. Yeah. Right. This this was at a time where no one did stuff like that. Right. So as the cars are driving past, you look over, mm. all you see is screens. Yeah. And there would be like maybe 50 on display. It was, it was the largest laptop showroom anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow. It was huge, yeah? Like, Harvey Norman had, like, seven laptops at that time. Okay. And they didn't even use to stock that many. Look. And you know which laptops would sell? The ones that I did the piano spray paint finish on. Interesting. 
all comes back to the car. Yeah. That was the one. If that, if the other one was, and, and laptops was coming, starting to come down in price even then. Right. Right. So a new laptop, like ASIN did that. ASIN butchered it. Like ASIN took the average sale price from six grand down to like three. Well, right. So secondhand laptops went from two and a half, three down to 1500, 1299. Yeah. So you might started to disappear mm. very quickly. That, that, my opportunity to get rich. Was the answer one? Yeah, that was gone, right? Yeah, that was my chance to to I could made all I could have made two years money in one week. Yeah, that's the thing with timing. So I was always chasing. I was always one year, two years, three years too late, and I, the same thing happened with him. Two, three years too late. Saturated market, saturated, saturated. Yeah, that's another view. So to say, but. We were, we were, um, uh, so by then, like I, my IBM thing had been going good too. And I, you know, proposed to IBM and said, Hey guys, every week I give you this list, I buy stuff and the ones that I don't buy because they're trash or whatever, this small portion don't send off to get refurbished, right? I said, why don't we create, and there was a guy called Dan Barker, who they flew out from the US, New, out of New York, right? He said. Why don't we, he, American guy, probably like one of my first mentors, yeah, great guy. Uh, he was in charge of like IBM Australia looking after this program. And he was like in charge of refurbishing and recycling these laptop computers. IBM was really ahead. I said, Dan, why don't we do like a certified use program where some of these really good ones, you guys provide the keyboard and the screen and whatever. The battery, we just change the battery. I'll give you an extra hundred bucks for each one. That's really good. You stick IBM certified used on it. I go, I'll get a premium for that. And he's like, well, put your thing in writing, blah, blah, blah. They trademarked it. There's a global agreement. I was supposed to get access to all stuff in the US. Yada, yada, yada. This was, this was, I can, this was going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had first dibs on. All the certified use stuff. Wow. And that's what I wanted because you sell it, you don't have a warranty. But all of a sudden you've gone from like a local player into a small market in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Like, and well, it was the biggest here. It was huge, man. We were talking two, three hundred computers a week. Well, it's not. But laptop computers were not, everyone didn't own a laptop computer back then. But also you're just selling Australia, right? Yeah, just Australia. But now this was giving you a shot big time. Yeah. Really? Like, okay, yeah. global. Yeah. Yeah, it pan out because IBM sold their PC division to Lenovo. And once mainland China came in, they had no interest in refurbishing. Because that was the new market. Is that what you're I just think in 2004 or five or whatever, China just didn't have that view of recycling or refurbishing. They d- didn't think that way. The program just disappeared. There was like no contact. Those people were not there and just went to nothing. Right. Right. Very different machine back then. Anyway, I ditched all the use and the refurbish and I moved into Acer and NEC with my store. So I switched from refurbished stuff to brand new. Right. And did like, like number one for Acer. We did like thousands, man, like a week. From this one shop? Yeah. Online, online install. My record was like, I sold, I think, 1,100 HP laptops in one day, where it was one per one customer per in one day, 24 hours. Wow. One per what customer. 
like this thing took off. Number one for Asus, like they flew me over to Taipei and I helped co-develop the new gaming machine with their engineers and would give ideas. It was an era of expansion and growth, right? The laptop computers had started to become mainstream. Between 2005, that's why IBM got out. Oh, the sell price was dropping, margins were dropping, Asia was growing, right? But this was all pre-smartphone. When Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, you know, the laptop turned went into your pocket. Uh, you didn't need a laptop to check your bank account anymore. Mm. But between 2004 and 2003, 2004, 2005, internet banking, right? Email. This, email is a 90s thing, but internet banking really took off. Mm. And you could do other things online. You know, Facebook was like coming on. And so people were using their laptop. That was one smaller than their desktop. But mobile phones were still not smart. Mm. You had the Nokia phone. You could call, dial, SMS. Yeah, you wouldn't send pictures that were terrible. <laughs> you know, a toaster today could probably genuinely take. Yes. Bless you. Gen uh, could probably genuinely take a better photo or your fridge will have a better camera, right? Mm. Um, but there was that era where mobile phones hadn't gone smart and it was your laptop still, right? So people were buying laptops and they were replacing them at a rate of 12, one, to, one new laptop every 12 to 18 months. Wow. Like the same way you sort of probably bought your smartphone between 2012 and 2016. Yeah. You know, it's one every two. You know, it, laptop became a smartphone. And in that period between like 2008, 2012, somewhere around there, we were like number one. I, I franchised the business. I had like multiple stores. We went, you know, very similar to this. Imagine today's specialty mobile phone stores, uh, but... Especially, they were laptop stores. Yeah. That's what we sold, right? Right. Uh, we had that frequency. People needed them. There was definitely a case for it. But I was always disillusioned with, because I had that experience of manufacturing, sending manufacturing, making my own component parts, repairs, mm -hmm. and just really got into it. And you would have seen every single laptop there. Every single one, and they were all trash. And you, well, you were and it used to annoy me because I knew that I didn't think I knew it could be done better. But you also knew, like you'd know that the X computer was a pain in the ass. Yeah. But you would see that time and time again because corporates would like yeah, we'd repair them. Customers would buy them. They were just made badly. They were designed badly. They were. Not upgradable, you know. I used to make my own parts in 2002, Well, <laughs> you'd have to. You couldn't buy them. Like if a hinge broke, you made one. You know, like that. That was the that was the world. That's how it was. Australia used to make everything. Don't look at Australia today. Like the Australia that I grew up in made everything. We made cars. We made everything. Mm. Like this place used to make everything. Now it's all been outsourced. But we knew how to make stuff. Mm. It was not a this wasn't a plug it into a computer. Ah, oh, that part's giving a fault. Let's swap the part. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like that. You, yeah. You made the part. Yeah. So I knew how to make stuff. I knew how to make laptops. I knew one. And you'd seen the best and you'd worked on all of them and you would have known intimately. And it used to really annoy me. Yeah. And I gained a lot of good customers and I really enjoyed being part of other people's businesses and really 
taking their business from the average business that it was, the way it operated, right, and electrifying it and turning, saying, hey, you know, your stuff, your, your mobile stuff should have laptops, even your in-office stuff can have laptops, and you can plug monitors into it, you can use them as a desktop replacement, mm. and if they need to work from home, they can. We were pushing that idea. Mm. And employees would be like, oh, well, I want them to take the laptop, I'm going to steal the... And I'm like, because, you know, if Bobby wants to go home because he's... You know, son Johnny's got a soccer game or whatever. Take the laptop, go to the soccer game, and over the weekend to do the work which you're not paying the hours for. Mm. He's getting to go to his son's soccer game, and you are not having to pay him to do those extra few hours. You would not believe how hard it was to sell this notion mm. to a generation of business owners who did not understand that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we're still seeing why that was Yeah. Right? We've been able to work from home since mid-2000s. Yeah. It was, like, it was COVID that forced us to. Yeah. I think that sort of mutually being able to switch over mm. at the same time. Mm. It was like, well, you're switching on, I'm switching over, so if I've got downtime and it's embarrassing, it's okay because we'll be embarrassed equally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So everyone, it was a chance for everyone to do it. But technologically speaking, we've been able to do this for ages. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, everyone in the IT industry knew that. The only one people who didn't were everyone who wasn't in the IT industry. Mm. That was the problem. Yeah. The customers didn't know, but we weren't able to convey that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like they're like, oh no, salespeople get laptops. They can't. Jenny from accounting can't have one. You know why not? She can't. She can't take it home. <laughs> Why, man? Yeah. Oh, he's sensitive to just, you know, but, you know, COVID helped force people. That's like, well, if your IT systems and that, you know, remember that first one, two, three months of COVID where it was all teething mm. of everyone's business systems, but it was okay because everyone was teasing, mm. teething. Yeah. So that's what, it's a whole new world now. We're never going back. It's a different topic. So, but the, what I was saying was, what I was trying to say was, these customers who was helping, right, they'd ask me, they'd go, this is the question. Good. Some customers would go, John, what's the best? Is that the best option? And I would answer, ah, oh, for the money, it's the best. And you might think, who cares, right? But did I answer that question? Mm, not really. I didn't, did I? No. It was always, for the money, it was the best. So it always lingered, man, I know I can do this better, mm. you know? And I knew in my heart of hearts that we could really do this better than all of them. Mm. I knew it. Not even think it. Mm. And I wanted to be able to say to those customers, and they said, hey, John, is this the best? Yes. Mm. Not for the money. Yes. But you would have had, arguably, globally speaking, you would be maybe the best person to be able to answer that question. That's what the arrogance in me told me as well. Right. Yeah, but like, unless, of course, there could be someone in the US who's doing similar sort of thing and refurbing things, but the fact. Well, even the American guys, I'd met them too. They were like my sort of equivalents who, for some reason, in the US, because there were so many of them, none of them singularly were as big as I was. Yeah, okay. But, well, let's just put it this way. Maybe not Wolf Best, but you certainly very well placed. I thought that. That's what I definitely thought. And, you know, like, uh, I was compelled to do it. Yeah. I couldn't think of any other. Couldn't. For me, 
there was no other way of thinking that. It was so, and all the problems I was having with the vendors and the distributors and the other men, they were so short-sighted. Yeah. You know? And a lot of them disappeared now. Toshiba doesn't make laptops. Sony doesn't. Right? These were the guys who were number one, right? right. Toshiba was number one here. So you, they're gone. Like, Sony's gone. Acer's barely holding on. Do you know what I mean? These guys at one time or another were like, Sony was the most prestige premium. Toshiba was number one by volume. Acer then became number one. Yeah. Like, and I watched, I'm like, you know, Asus was like killing it. These guys are one, two, three, four percent market share companies now, the ones that exist and one and they commoditize it. And then Steve Jobs and Bill Gates are all talking about the the era of the PC is over. That's what the famous line was at the time. The the PC is dead. PC is not dead. Just the race to the bottom is over. You mm. guys have raced to the bottom where you've made it awful. Mm. You know? And that combined with sheer arrogance and I don't know, just, just enthusiasm or just a red blooded insanity mm. made me throw millions and millions and millions at <laughs> So this was the start of a massive pivot, right? Yeah, but I've done that before and I'm not afraid of pivoting. So what was it? Because it sounded like. Well, I just couldn't make money out of their crappy computers. Not only that, the more of their crappy computers that I sold, yeah. the more customers I was losing. Yeah, right. So you had like major retailers who were on like, uh, sim- you know, like for the guys in the US who listen to this, like similar to like Best Buy, uh, like JB, Best Buy, Harvey Norman, you know, big box stores, right? These guys were able to muscle and negotiate with these manufacturers and push me out because they'll say, I mean, I even overheard from one of them, you know, a household retailer, you know, big guy here, say to them, do you want HP to be number one? Is that why you're supporting Joe? They said that. Yes, it's against trade practices, blah, 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 monopolization. Yeah, but this happens, man. It's the reality of business. This is yeah. what happens behind closed doors. They said that to him. And my deal got cancelled. Wow. That I cut for like 10,000 or 15,000 units that I was going to put on the front page of my catalog, right? Okay, yeah. And that was the moment I went, you know what, for make my own computer, you can't do that to me. Got it. That was the final. That was it. That was it. I'm like, so now not only can I no longer grow because you're not allowing me to, you're blocking me from it. You're actually ensuring now that I, I can't even get what I could negotiate. And you could say, she's not there anymore, are they? So you could say, you know, you could say who was right. I don't know. Yeah. You know, they're not here. Maybe if they'd kept me, you know, that's why you got to do the right thing. Because if they had done the right thing, while I'm not Harvey Norman or JB Hi-Fi or Best Buy, Miss Sears is gone in the US. Mm. Myers is struggling. They invented, Myers invented Rita. Mm. They invented Boxing Day, man. Wow. Yeah. Like, that's the equivalent of whoever invented Black Friday, you know? We should now bigger than Boxing Day. Like, yeah. this is ever and forever. Like, five years ago, Boxing Day was bigger than... Yeah, yeah. Black Friday. Yeah. So, there's an evolution of things here. You know, a pension fund owns Sony Vio, the Vio brand. Yeah. yeah. I come across some at certain Intel conferences and whatever. Yeah. Japanese guys, you know? 
who are still using the Vara brand name, but they only sell domestically in, in Japan. So if you have this realization, you can't grow. You're actually being stopped. It's I'm actively being stopped by my competitors. Yeah. Who as a business are much larger than I am in multiple categories. Yeah. But not in this category that I'm a king of. Got it. Okay. So you go, all right, let's, let's pepper. I was pretty ruthless too. I wasn't giving these guys probably much room to breathe. I would cut out a lot of their margin, not on purpose. Just I was so ruthless at cutting, you know, negotiating deals that I think I was leaving them no fat. They were just not good at what they did, but they were not able to protect themselves. Yeah. And uh, I could go deeper and I'd go deeper and I guess it was an irresistible force that were coming in on them and they were doing deals that they shouldn't have been doing. Good. So they were very happy to see you go. I think so. They kind of were. I mean, uh, later on, like there's the Toshiba accounting scandal. I keep going back to them because that's a company that doesn't exist anymore. So I could talk about them, right? The other guys who still exist, I don't want to comment on because they're still around. Um, but, uh, you know, Toshiba in 2015, 2016 had a multi-billion dollar accounting scandal. Right. That came out, right? I mean, they were a company that are better off making thermonuclear power plants. That's what Toshiba makes. And left. Uh, which one are you going to make more money on? Yeah. Right, so in their accounting scandal, you know, they were holding on to assets on their books, which didn't exist. Got it. And so when they broke them off, they, they lodged billions in losses. So they weren't making money, in fairness, and I think some of that, you know, a small component of that, I was probably a contributor to. So, so the step into the own business then. So what was the... So I wanted to run... Venom initially as our in-house brand. Did it start as Venom? Is that you have the name already? Yeah. Right. And again, built on from Melbourne, Victoria, people were like, you're not going to be able to compete against you know, those other lead brands. I said, well, you know, what's nature's greatest defense mechanism against larger, faster predators? Mm. Venom. Mm. Venom is like, oh, we can be venomous. We're local. We're here. All snakes in Victoria are venomous. I thought, let's be Venom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, and, you know, if it's intelligently used, it's a force for good. Mm. You could make medicine out of them, and it also represents knowledge. Yeah. Knowledge is power. That was our original founding force. But it's a distinctive knowledge is being picked up by lots of different categories too, right? Yeah, and also because of the, the, the retail names like MLN, Mobile, it was such a mouthful. I never And I never picked that name. I just used that name so you get the domain names. Yeah. And I, I didn't like it because... It was so hard to remember. Nobody remembered what the hell it was, right? So I was like, next name I'm going to choose is going to be an easy name to repeat, but at the same time, it's going to have meaning. And I really thought about it for a long time. Mm. Like I wanted it to be about knowledge, information, storage of knowledge, which is what a computer is, a laptop computer is. Mm. I wanted it to be like, if you venomize a computer, you know, you take it to the next level. Uh, I wanted it to be understood for what it was. It could be used for good or bad. Mm. No different to anything on earth, mm. right? It's about the user. Mm. It's not the device. Mm. It's a tool. It is a tool. Yeah. People get carried away with AI. That's another topic mm. we talk about. But AI is just... Amplified bias or amplified, amplified goodness or amplified yep. evil. 
you got 50 different strings of commands. I've got 50 different strings of things that I know. You probably know 500, but you probably only use them daily 50. I know 500, on the daily I use 50. Take all 500, your 500, my 500, put them together, cross over 400 each, maybe 100 unique to you, 100 unique to me. So we have a total of 600 different parameters, right? You take those data points in, you run it through those 600 parameters every single time, you will have 100% flawless execution of our mutual bias. Mm. <laughs> All right, you probably only use 50 out of those 500 points because 50 of them tend to work best for you. Yeah. That's why you remember them, right? Yeah. And then we'll start grading them, tweaking it, blah, 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 blah. It's just us amplified. Uh, just, I've quickly moved over to AI, but like... If I read your last 20 years of emails and then I get the AI to respond as you, mm. your personal development has ended. Mm. You stop where you are. And that's the problem you see with today's generation as well. You know, they finish school. Well, if I'm going to work at Starbucks, I'm going to work at Starbucks for life. So that's why I should get a wage, a livable wage. No, man. You're not supposed to stay at Starbucks for life. Because mm. if you stay at Starbucks for life on a livable wage, cup of coffee is going to be $30 because I have to pay for it. Mm. And all you're ever going to be is a barista, which is nothing wrong with that, but you can be more than that. Mm. Like, do it. I've done done those types of jobs too. Do it for six months, a year, two years, but I'm sure you need to be stimulated beyond that point. It's more than that. Well, you can do more than that, right? Nothing wrong with being happy with just that. Yeah. But that's not comfort and happy. And basic, you need to be more. You have to be more. You have to do more. You can't do the same thing in and out. The laws of the universe and entropy doesn't work like that. We move towards deterioration. You can argue with it. This house, that this building that we're sitting in, if you don't keep adding energy to it, it's going to deteriorate and fall apart, whether you like it or not. So you have to keep going. Let me draw this back to Ben and Ben. Man, that was a sidestep. That's cool. <laughs> I think it's interesting as you even as you communicate that, it's it really highlights to me at least. I, I think there would be some people listening this week, we don't have to. Whereas you are emphatic that you have to. Well, not everyone does have to, but if the one percenters don't, you're in trouble. So let's think about that. So is that what drives Venom for you? It's because it doesn't sound like you've built Venom as a laptop for the mass, like take it, and I'm getting dangerously out of my knowledge expertise here now. In terms of a lot of the computers out there, it seem to be built. You know, you walk into a fairly mainstream shop, right, and they'll just go well, slather and grey laptops in front. Yeah, I mean, look, and they're they're built for venom's, de- venom's definitely not for everyone. So never intended it for it to be for everyone, and was only ever intended for people who want to do better. Right. All right. And that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So what? Architects, scientists, engineers, business people. What is them for you? Why did that? Well, obviously, that naturally sounds like it resonates, that audience with you. They're the ones who drive things. Right. Right. They're the ones who make things better for everyone else. Science isn't democratic. It doesn't need an overwhelming majority of people to agree or disagree. It just needs to be right. So it's really about accelerate equipping those people yes with a very powerful tool correct 
And that's just not linear calculations. People are like, oh, better CPU, better laptop. No, 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 no. You don't go out and buy a car and put an enormous engine in there and, and terrible brakes and terrible suspension. How's that going to go? Yeah. You know, I'll make it really powerful one in. What's it going to do in the battery? Yeah. Well, if you put that type of battery in there, what are you, how are you going to do a screen? You know, what type of screen are you going to use? Mm -hmm. If you use that type of screen, what type of graphics card are you going to have to power that screen? Like this, it starts to do a full circle. Then if you use that graphics card, you can't use that CPU. So it goes back to the CPU where you started to begin with. All right, and then you go, hang on, if I'm going to house that CPU and that graphics card, what type of case am I going to use? Or if I use that case, can't I use this keyboard? Like, performance is not. It's very frustrating. I and mean, people just say, oh, it's a CPU. It's not. Basic question, though. How's a... More is not better is what I'm saying. How is a small startup, Melbourne base, without the... Um, we're, not a, we're not a startup. That's the... That's, well, well, I mean, that's a, well, I mean, if a startup, you were. And so how is someone like that, how are you able to outthink the billion-dollar companies which are in this market already? Most big companies are zombie organizations. They're the living dead. So you were, you were sat there and you're taking... I know for a fact they make crap computers. Okay. Like, I don't think it. I know. And so you were there going, okay, well... I'll give you a simple example, right? Don't, don't fix something that's not broken, correct? Yeah. Okay. What about making something that doesn't break to begin with? Mm. So you'll find that Band-Aid solutions or post-repair solutions, typically when you look at it from an engineering perspective and you dive into it, it's like, ah, if you've done this this way, it wouldn't have broken two years later. Mm. Right? So if you do it properly to begin with, you don't have the problems that need to be fixed later. Mm. So why do so many of these household name brand companies keep churning out 599, 499, 399, 299, 199 garbage laptops. Because let's use the recovery drive as an example, right? Typically, don't put the, the Windows recovery image built into the hard drive that's within the laptop. For those who are basic, what made, what the hell's recovery drive? So recovery drive is like your system image. So if you get a virus or a corruption, for example, and you need to restore your system image, okay, a certain amount of your drive has been partitioned and allocated for the system image. So you know when you say recover windows, repair windows, or restore windows, right? Mm -hmm. That comes out of your system image. Built into the same drive that stores the image. So when your drive fails, okay, which tends to be the first thing, how can you restore your image? You can't. Right. So why don't they provide it on an external USB stick? Because that would cost $20. If you sell 10 million computers a year. Mm, it's not a lot. Okay, or 100 million computers a year or whatever. Right. It's an enormous amount of money. Yeah. So you can open up a call center in the Philippines or Indonesia or whatever. And that's cheaper to run than provide a USB drive for every single computer. Right. Okay. Now. We don't sell them in black books in those countries. Our markets are Australia, United States of America, Canada, the UK, Germany, whatever, right? Mm. Tend to be countries where the earning capacity is higher and time tends to be valued. So we provide an external USB recovery drive. Yeah. Does HP and the others not know this? They can't do that. They can't. 
They literally can't. Financially, they can't. Yeah. Because they're selling these other products in that other category, right? But as you as you grow, you're going to face the similar challenge. No, I'm not going to. I'm not trying to be 30% of the overall market. Go ahead. I don't want to. We don't need to be. The second you have to appeal to more than 20% of the market, you start paying for it. You have to pay for it. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a healthy percentage. And I learned that with MLM too, right? Like we went real overdrive. We became so big that it was costing us money to maintain that collection. Yeah. Because you're now having to appeal to segments of the market. Well, you're sort of unnaturally taking from others. And I don't think you need to do that. You know, like Apple might be number one here and in your world, but there's a whole part of the world where nobody buys any of their stuff. Mm. You know, world economics can't be ignored. An Intel CPU costs a certain price because G20 nations earn a certain amount of money and can pay for it. Mm. World economics can't be ignored. There's there's a way the world is established. So you've built a niche product. I don't think that niche. I don't think with that niche, like we're not. It's not. It's not where anybody in any field who wants better can use one of our black books. And dollar for dollar, you're not overpaying. Like those other multinationals also manufacture computers at the same price points we do. We just don't manufacture the other price points as well. Right. That's the difference. Okay, not yet. Yeah. So everybody in the mainstream sort of computer brands has these same price points that Venom does. But we don't manufacture to their lower price points, whereas they subsidize their lower price points with the money that they make from their higher price points. What? Because they have to. Example, the USB recovery drive. They start putting it in their higher-end units, the people are going to want it in their lower-end units. They can't do it. So they put slightly less other specifications in their top-end units so they can do the lower-end price units at the lower price. Right? It's a wash between the two. Mm. Whereas we don't have to do that. We just make for this market. Not being the top. For those who the, can't. Uh, the, the higher end of expectations. Yeah. So if you... And then if you were to compare dollar for dollar in US dollars, what you get out of Venom Black Book compared to what you would get out of the other top three manufacturers in the world, you get more with us. However, we just don't have a cheaper notebook. Cool, yeah. So we're not cheap, but we're great value for what you get. Mm. So at 2,000 US dollars or 1,500 US, $1, US dollars, we're the best at 1500 US dollars. Go yeah. So, your view on but how many people want a laptop 1500 US dollars? Yeah. Maybe 20% of the population, right? I get it. But we are definitely the best value at those price points. We just don't have cheaper units. Right. Doesn't mean we're expensive. It's just we don't. We don't produce for those segments. Makes sense. Now, if I did produce for those segments, we wouldn't be any different to everyone else. Yeah. Because you have to do compromise. Well, it's the same thing. Why is there not a Tesla for nineteen ninety nine? Yeah. They can't make it? They can. But if they did, then they'd have to compromise on the other products, right? Talk to us about the future of computing. What are you seeing in terms of this space? Like, can, can this game this game keep going? You talked about timing earlier. Uh, look, you I think it's definitely, like, from a personal devices perspective, 
from the laptop computer. The laptop computer has largely unchanged, mainly because of human ergonomics. You look at where our eyes are positioned, our neck, head, hands, the keyboard, right? I mean, as a small manufacturer, we we can't we don't we can't afford to experiment with our customers. We can't we will not get away with things that you know, like that haptic keyboard that Apple brought out. Like they did a really flat key with no travel. Right. To mimic the feeling of a touchscreen. My God. Why would you want a keyboard that feels like a touchscreen? Mm. Like garbage. It's terrible. Yeah. But only they can get away with that. Yeah. We did that. We'd be bust. Yeah. And we'd lose 100% of our customers. Right. If they do that, it's edgy. It's mm. whatever. It's silly. Yeah. It's a terrible idea. You know, there's one level of from intelligence. It's called wisdom. Which is, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. All right? <laughs> there are terrible ideas that come out all the time. Yeah. And just because you can, you shouldn't do it. Right? Oh, yeah. So, computing as a whole from a device form factor perspective, it'll evolve, it'll change, make it on a pocket. There might be some holograms, this, that. But the way in which computers work, I think it's going to go back to how it was originally, where you had... Uh, you had a master and slave. We don't use that anymore. All those words because it's apparently offensive. We say, um, I forgot what terminology I came up with now. That was terminal computing. You had the master terminal, and then you had these terminals, which were just basically systems that had kept no local storage, but they were like a window into the main terminal mainframe. It was done on a local network. Sounds a lot similar to cloud computing. Mm. So if you add AI on the cloud, you have an AI terminal now. So the terminal does less work, the central computer does more work. Right. If the central computer has read the last 20 years of my emails, looked at all of my photos, it kind of knows me and really, right? Mm. Yeah? So it's going to start responding on my behalf. Yeah. The issue with that is what a lot of people don't understand who are quite, have made themselves useless by not really producing anything. Okay, they've adopted this idea of universal basic income and think it's a great idea. Issue is when you start to produce nothing, the people who are producing things for you will eventually get sick and tired of it. Mm. Okay. You, as a human, need to provide worth. Mm. So this type of computing, which is where we're going, you know, Microsoft charges us $5 a month per user at a corporate um, to do AI computing or whatever, right? Why the hell do I need the employee? Yeah. Yeah. So you think, so is it an, ex- is it an extension and an improvement upon me or is it the dumbification of me? So you're saying... Now, I can't write anymore, right? Who are you? But if you give me a pen and paper, yeah. I cannot write anymore. If I write more in two sentences, like, yeah, yeah. physically, my hand cramps up. Yeah. The writing, I can't even read what I wrote afterwards. I can't spell. Yeah. Because spell check's taken that away from me. I just type fast. Hey. <laughs> and I hadn't written. Because I, I hadn't written with pen and paper for like 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Right? My handwriting is terrible. Now, the cognitive abilities that come with handwriting have also gone. Because mm. if you actually write what you are thinking, yeah. you, you learn it. 
Yeah. And you understand it. We're wired that way. There's something with our fingertips and the... And the yeah. You're a puffers. Yeah. And have you seen like there's that, um, there's that human that they've drawn with like really big lips and really big hands to represent which parts of the brain actually are... Like they've drawn a body which represents what percentage of our brain works for what. Right. And fingers and hands are huge. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we we have the intelligent design, I believe, around humans. It's dexterous, yeah. The, the fingers work in a certain way. Mm. I think typing to one level br- brings it, but it's not the same as the pen mm. or pencil where it flows and you feel each letter, mm. right? I mean, what's that going to do for AI computing? You know, you... You look at the Instagram generation, you look at the TikTok generation, you know, I watched some of the younger guys, like in the late teens, early 20s, I used to take stuff out maybe to see how everyone interacts. You know, the social awkwardness, have we made it better? People better? Mm. Say no. I would say no, too. No. Is it their fault? No. But is it their problem? Yes. So I'm not, I'm not trying to blame them. Like that's another thing I get criticized for. A lot of things in my life were not my fault. Nobody asked me to be born here. No one asked me to have these parents or have this religious inclination or this color skin or be, uh, I was lucky to be born in Australia. Am I the smartest person in the world? Now the Silicon Valley giants, are they the smartest people in the world? No, man. They're just privileged. Mm. No one asked them which planet or which continent or whatever they want, you want to come out on. You know, like the guys who invented all this stuff. They're not the best people for the job. They just happen to be in the right place, right time, and be the best for the people at that time. Yeah. You know, so it's a victim of circumstances goes many ways. Yeah. Where are, where are these, what's going to happen to the next generation? Are we making, you know, the soft skills you learn in retail, uh, the small cues you pick up on, like you and I, you're not saying much, but you're visually... You're engaged with me now. The people listening to us can't really see that. Yeah. But your eyes have been on me and I've been on you and we're we're communicating, right? That takes a long time to form yeah. the ability to be able to do that. Yeah. And living through social media, living through Instagram, uh, problem with that is the person that you're trying to look up to or live up to in Instagram doesn't even look like the person on the photo that's in Instagram. Yeah. You see, now you're starting to adopt ideals that don't even exist. Yeah. In the real, So this whole, does life irritate art, art irritate life, man, it's crazy. Life definitely irritates art. Once you think it, it's there. Mm. Right? And once you put it out there, life starts irritating it. Yeah. But it's not real. That's the problem. That you're saying now I'm talking about matrix stuff you know new generation now like maybe they want to stay plugged in the matrix mm. you know, I don't know do you remember that scene where there's the guy who's eating the steak in the matrix mm. it was terrifying when we watched that and we're like he wants to go back in I think more people now would be that way yeah I couldn't have found anyone when the matrix came out who wanted to have been that guy who betrayed and murdered all of his friends, remember, on the mm. on the ship yeah. for the stake in the way? Mm. Even though he knew it was fake. Mm. I wonder how many people want to be that way now. You know, I think Keanu uh, Reeves was talking about it in one of his interviews where he was at his friend's house or something, and he was explaining the plot of The Matrix to his friend's kids. 
who had not seen the movie, and he said that, and basically trying to free fellow humans from this machine. And the kid was like, what's the problem? Okay. So you're saying it's not so much what the computer can do, but it's really about coming back to the user. It's always been about the user. It's an operator error. Yeah. When your computer fails or doesn't do something, you're the problem. Okay. My computers don't fail. I don't have problems. Mm. Fish don't climb trees. They're not designed to. Or evolve or happen or exist to. You measure a fish according to how it swims in the water, not how it climbs trees. Mm. So computers uh, work best when you treat them like a bicycle. What do you mean? A bicycle is an extremely efficient mechanical extension of you. If you were to calculate the amount of calories you burn compared to walking, running, mm-hmm. riding is best. Yeah. Right? Least amount of strain on the body, most energy efficient, travel will cover the most amount of ground, right? Without using electrification, internal combustion into whatever. Yeah? Now, say if we start going past that into an e-bike, motorbike, whatever, the the health benefit's gone. Mm. Okay? It's, you can argue how much man machine, etc. Is it a self-riding bike? Is it a self-up bike? What are you contributing to it? What's it doing for you? Are we, are, is this commuting? Is this fitness? Is this, is this a better way to travel? More noise? How, how much more distance do I need to cover? Cost of production? I would definitely say that electrification of motorbikes and et cetera is, is better. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a hydrogen fan there than I am of, you know, EV. That's for sure. Like the fact that nobody wants to, electric vehicles aren't even new. They've been around for 100, 120 years, but keeping us plugged into a plug, is that better? For your point around the user error piece. Yeah. Is that? We can have better drivers with self-driving cars. No. Is that driving? Yeah, right. Uh, or or we, is that an appliance? So really, is your take that... What are manufacturers going to do when we're competing on appliances? If you turn the car into an appliance, BMW, the ultimate driving machine or whatever. Yeah. The hell, man? It's yeah. just a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Yeah. You know? A, a computer that replaces me... So as we t- who's the appliance? So as we tap away into AI and training even more and more and more, what you're saying is that turning you and me into an appliance. Yeah, you're no longer going to be the thinker. You're becoming the appliance, and you can argue whether you're going to have any value or worth, mm. especially if you haven't been told. Mm. I'm not what I am now because of me. Now I'm not me because of all the failures mm. and all the heartache and the pain and the losses. Mm. You don't become great by finishing school and then entering the workforce and then you're the manager. It's from having crappy jobs, mm-hmm. from dealing with crappy situations, mm-hmm. from like when you come into work or whatever and they turn the thing on and the thing doesn't work and your boss is a prick and he doesn't answer the phone and you've got to figure out how to make the thing work. Mm-hmm. And there's no internet. So you start... Yeah, and then you know how to use the thing. Or you buy a three-hundred-dollar car. But that's how you figure stuff out. That's how you make things better. That's how you become better. Mm. You're a product of your environment, and the environment is a product of you. Mm. So much so, we could go into quantum theory here, where you have the you know the 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 double slit effect. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm. I have. 
which yeah. produces five on the other end. Yeah. yeah. And then the second you try to see the actual electron, what it's doing at the point of passing the slip, the, the mere fact that you're trying to observe it changes it from a uh, particle to a wave. Yeah. Or a wave to a particle, I can't remember. Mm. But the act, the very act of observation helps us the reality. Mm. That means whatever I'm observing is in some weird way observing me. Mm. This is a two-way thing. For you to, for you, do you follow where I'm going with this? You, you're not, how are you benefiting humanity by doing this? Where's the, where's the part where our spiritual development, our mental development, it's quite clear it's no longer developing, it's regressing. Mm. We're regressing as a species. Things around us may be getting better, but is that the purpose of our existence? Mm. Uh, you can argue what you want, but a species that doesn't continue is not a successful species. Mm. Or continuing to get better, right? Well, if you're not getting better, you're not continuing as a species. Yeah. If our average age continues to decline, our health continues to decline. The only question challenge. The challenge to that would be that we're creating tools, no different to agricultural when we were, we built the plow versus, so we, yeah, we became quote unquote lazier as farmers, but we built a plow rather than having to kick around with the old. Uh, yeah, sh- that, that, those things, for example, counter other things though. Uh, for example, the plow, um, you know, as you started riding horses, I think it used to be that 75% of all agriculture was for horses. So the internal combustion engine that replaced horses also freed up agriculture for us. So then, so there's that saying then, are we, whether we're becoming smarter as a our, population I, is. I don't know about if we're becoming smart. I think our tools are becoming more capable and certain 1% is becoming smarter. Yeah. But the gap between. The, pe- the people who have made stuff for everyone else have always been above everyone else, intellectually speaking. But then really, for those types of people, there is, there's no concern. Because if you continue to do that, then you'll continue to... It's just the, it's the swathe of the, of the not that, which is... If you have, if you have sociological and non, non-sociological, non-spiritual development in the other fields of civilization and humanity... You'll never have that. You'll have such a wide gap. You're never going to have a need. Both people are not going to need the other pick. There'd be no difference to the guy who's the farmer who can all, all he can do is use the pick, and he never looks up skill. He's going to get with, with the instruction of the plant. How many times you give him the handout? Mm. I help you out, man. Your crop was bad again this year. You had a drought. Yes, okay. Well, last year had a drought. The year before there was a flood. The year before, you didn't know how to use the equipment, so I helped you out then too. And the year before that, you just had bad luck. Dude, it's been four years, man. So I work for you now? That's going to come. Mm. I'll help you once, I'll help you twice, I'll help you three, but don't, don't help yourself. And then there's going to be, well, I can't help myself. Mm. The gap is so huge. Look, do you know why we can't build hospitals or whatever in the third world? Even if we throw money at it, right? Hospitals to build, we require insurance. Let's say we're going to send a billion dollars to some country who needs it. And all we say is, you got to insure it for me. Give me a certificate of currency to show me that you can give me some insurance. 
to get insurance, the insurance company is going to say, well, okay, fire, theft, flood, all the usuals, right? Fire department, where's it at? <laughs> you don't have one. <laughs> Flight, you have the equivalent of the SES for emergency services. No, you don't have one. Who makes up the fire department? The locals. Volunteers. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a sociological development. That's people who've lived in societies where the cities have burnt down before. Better to have a fire department than not. And they're like, this is a good thing. Yeah. Being a firefighter is what? Cool. Yeah. Kid wants to be a firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is why you can build a billion dollar hospital. Yeah. Because the insurance company goes, yeah, we've got a fire department. It's manned by a bunch of volunteers and blah, 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 blah. The third world nation doesn't have that. So what's missing is the social institutions. That's the foundation for our current financial system. Us. It's not money. Mm. People think, oh, it's money. Money comes. Money will go where it needs to go. Yeah. That's what it does. That's the very nature of it. It will go to where it's going to be most efficiently used. Look at that. All the time. Yeah. Okay. But even if it wants to go there, it can't. No one's going to send a billion dollars for that if you can't get insurance. You're an idiot if you send the money. Yeah. You're doing is throwing it away. Yeah. So what you got to do is you got to go back and say, hey, guys, you need a fire department. Can you teach that? No. Unfortunately, I agree with you. Yeah. Is that care? Is that, you know, you got to place your body in. It's, it's hard. It's a hard concept to explain. Yeah. Can it be, can it be learned? Yes. How do we do it? I don't know. Yeah. Right. Like, so these are the things you start to lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Like these things actually go hand in hand. You have to have spiritual awakeness, awakening. You have to have a mental sort of awakening as well as a technological one. Mm -hmm. Technology without those things doesn't do anything. Yeah. Why do we pay? Why do we want to pay teachers the least? And why are the teaching standards dropping? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're pushing AI. What is these people going to learn? Well, I don't think we are paying teachers at least. Oh, I think we are. I don't think we pay teachers enough. I think teachers don't do not get paid enough. I think teachers should be paid more. I think tertiary standards should be increased. I think teaching should be one of the most honourable and hardest jobs to get into, and it should also be paying nearly as much as a doctor. It all comes down to what you value as a society. Who are they teaching? Well, I think it. The other piece is the next generation of kids, man. But it's about what guys they're thinking, right? In a, in a system which doesn't serve free or encourage free thought, then it's not necessarily designed for intelligent forward to recreate that to that. 100% it's not. And it's not. But you're going to unleash AI upon all of them. Well, it's, kind of, it's, it's arrived. It's not like it's, it's not coming. It's, it's here. Right. 1% don't need it, man. I agree. That's the problem. And that's going to quickly turn into you eating too much, you're breathing too much, you're drinking too much. And they're already saying that to people. Mm, I'm with you. And people are saying it to themselves. Oh, why should I have kids? Oh, or, you know, the animals. Oh, that's their territory. We shouldn't have come into it. Oh, mm. So where do we live? Is it not my territory? Yeah. I'm not from Earth? Yeah. It's my planet too, man. Yeah. You. I'm not saying we're supposed to obliterate everything, but hey, I exist. Mm. I'm here. And I'm still the apex predator. Yeah. Look at it how you want. Get offended. Okay. Whatever. I'm the apex predator. Mm. We are. Mm. 
It's also our job to take care of the planet. Yeah. I believe that too. Yeah. It's not the monkey's job or the crocodiles to look after the planet. Mm. We're the custodians. Yeah. Because we're the ones that are capable of understanding that notion. Yeah. So the responsibility falls upon that. Sure. This comes with multiple caveats. There's multiple sides to this thing. Yeah. But, you know, you see how all of this ties in, right? Mm. So AI is something that definitely needs regulation. Okay. And when I say regulation, in the same way that I hacked into what's well, only on barracks and the Pentagon and NASA and whatever, and I did it at a time when uh, there was no laws, I've been breaking rules. Mm. What would the AI equivalent of that look like? Mm. Could there be a, would there be a chance to fix it later? Yeah. It probably isn't going to cut it if the soldier just asks the AI not to. Look, <laughs> because it's not human. Yeah. It's artificial. Yeah. Right? Humans are not necessarily rational. Mm. They can be compassionate. Yeah. We, we, we don't talk about these things. Mm. I can be asked, hey, man, just don't do it. I don't have to give in to my greed and oh, power. Yes. I, I can control that. Yeah. And not do that. I, I don't. I don't it's not how AI works. I'm with you. So we, we, we need to understand where linear computing is ending and where it's another level to AI too. What it would look like we, in, in the quantum realm. What do you mean? Well, no, explain this in a way where everyone would get it. So the current computing is you know, binary, zero, one, zero, one, it's linear, right? So, for example, you say two times two is four, the CPU calculates that, you put that into the into memory, which temporarily holds that number of four. Then we say, okay, what's four times four? It's 16. And then we go, oh, what was that other number we calculated? Four, to the memory. Takes that number from four to 16, adds it to 16, it's got 20. Puts that number 20 back into memory, and it says, all right, what's eight times eight? 64, okay? Takes that number out of memory, which is the 20, adds it to the 60. This is all linear, right? One after another after another, you can draw a straight line with it back to back. You apply gigahertz speed, you do this more and more and more, faster and faster and faster, right? That's pretty much how a CPU sort of a modern conventional computer works. You could have multiple cores, which allows you to do eight smaller frame numbers, whatever, right? Now, graphics processing units operate in a slightly different way. They have more cores. And if you haven't played a computer game, right, and you see like a blade of grass, mm. and you see the, the grass waving around, yeah. as you move around the, the grass, there's lots of strings and little grass, and you see the wind being applied, and that, that's not a video. That's That's... Two-dimensional code, zero, one, zero, ones, being applied and turned into individual three-dimensional objects. And as you move around, the graphics processing unit, as you're changing your perspective and looking at those blades of grass, is drawing, rendering each one of those images, uh, uh, blades of grass each time. Right. The GPU is doing that, not the CPU. Because the CPU can do big numbers linear, but one or two. But the hundreds of blades of grass don't need to be giant linear computational numbers. 
there can be lots of two by two, two by two, two by three, two by two, but a thousand times. Mm. So the graphics processor can do that really, really well. Okay. That type of calculation. But quantum's different. Uh, yeah. So that's linear, but these are both linear computers. AI works really well with the graphics processing unit. Because remember how I gave you the example of 500 parameters? To apply 500 parameters at once, if you do it on a CPU, you've got to do the first one, and you put into memory. Then the second one, and you put into memory. And the third one, you put into memory, right? But if you put it into a GPU, you can apply 500 of those parameters simultaneously. Mm. That's how it works. In the way, so that's how you get the 500 parameters. So then how would you get the car, for example, to drive itself? Mm. It takes a three-dimensional image of what's in front of it, like multiple data points, takes those data points and puts it into a graph. Think of it like that, like a graph, like an XY graph. Yeah. And dot all of those points, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Then you have this thing called, like you could apply a linear regression curve, mm -hmm. which is basically the line and best fit. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. You get all these data points and then you run a line through the middle and you get this smooth line here. Imagine that as the steering between that. That's why, you know, if you look at the old robots, they go, and they move that robot robotic way. Because it's zero, one, zero, one, it's all def definite points. But if you were to apply a linear regression curve to those data points, you can get that smoothness to it. So then the robot moves smooth and the steering wheel can take that left-hand cor corner smoothly, not rigid where it like gets the point A. Oh, right or left. Hard left, you know, it just can smoothly take that. Okay. And that's how you could visualize artificial intelligence, multiple calculations and linear regression curve, line of best fit. That's what AI is. I've summed up how it works, right? Now we look at that, oh, that's smart. It's not, man. That's all that is. I'm broken down how it basically sort of works, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when we go into quantum computing, there's a lot of weird things in here. For example, every possible answer all at the same time. So, it's not the chicken, it's not the egg, it's the chicken and the egg at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay? And the good example, best example, like the Schrodinger's cat, but I like the poisonous piece rice. So let's say there's one, what's a single rice? Rice? Grain. Grain, that's right. <laughs> one grain of rice, right? Let's say, imagine that's a poisonous grain of rice. Mm. And the all other thousand grains of rice are normal. A linear computer will, in the bag, take one grain of rice in, out, in, out, check it, yeah? Let's say we've got multiple cores, it might do 10 at once, okay? A quantum computer will empty the bag of rice count all the grains of rice all at the same time and put it back, every combination, all at once. Wow. Okay? That's how, in theory, it will do it. There's other problems, though, that a lot of people don't talk about. If you have that, you need quantum memory, you need quantum storage. Oh. Right. And so that's why at the moment, and you need quantum programming, which is not the way we program, right? So another problem that's even beyond that, again, and that's, quantum interface mm. you're not interfacing with that through a keyboard and mouse yeah okay uh, I believe you're going to interface through your consciousness that's a different thing but that's mainly because to get the quantum computer to work 
they they bring it down to absolute zero because it's got to do with that temperature manipulating the way gravity works and the re and gravity at that temperature affects time and when you have the manipulation of time that's where you can have every single computational outcome calculated simultaneously but if and people are like okay well what would quantum communications look like right like if you have one there's those experiments for the views you know one qubit's over here and another qubit's over here and they apply um there's they observe a movement on one qubit the other qubit which is separated by a significant amount of distance response mm. turns in the same way mm. faster than the speed of light mm-hmm. and with no we don't understand how it's communicating it but there's there's data being passed mm. one to another and there's information exchange there that tells me they're already connected in another realm or another dimension mm. well that's what's happening there's something happening outside of space-time similar to the way a quantum computer works right, right. Where they're exchanging information, but I don't actually think they're exchanging information. I think the information's already there. They're just connecting to it. That means the very fabric of existence in the next dimension already has everything connected to one another, almost like a like geometric shapes. So, like if you were to tear this fabric of reality behind, it would be like those. What are they called? starts with P when you have a whole bunch of geometric shapes like uh, polygons. Polygons, yeah. Imagine like three-dimensional polygons behind everything. Something like that where it's already connected. Mm. For it to be instant, it means it's already there, right? Mm. Almost like, I think Michelangelo, when they asked him, you know, how did you how did you carve this angel? And he said, it was already within the marble. I just uncovered it. Mm. You know, it's, it's already there. That's the way you've got to think. And they say, a working is, have you ever been in a car accident? Yeah. How how long was it? Was anyone seriously injured first? No. Good. Was it a big accident? No. Was it enough to like where time slowed down? Yeah. And was, yeah, yeah, okay. What happened when this slowed down? What were you thinking? I was like, oh my God, I was such an idiot. Well, else? Am I going to stop? What else? Crikey. I'm going to hit it. How long do you think all of that lasted for? It, it can't have been long. I plowed into a wall after a truck hit me. And between from the truck hitting me and the wall, I think I had 50 to 100 lines of communication with myself. Wow. How am I going to die? What about this? What about that? What about the And I think it was one to two seconds. Wow. I asked God, am I going to die? And I like felt these hands on my shoulder and then I had all these. Regardless of what you believe or don't believe, right? I had way too many thoughts for two seconds. Mm. Okay. Too many, too many lines of sentences. Yeah. Way too many that don't fit in that amount of time, right? <laughs> like in the physical displacement of leaving the middle lane and hitting the wall at 100Ks an hour. Uh. There's not enough time to have that. So that fear or that reality of whatever, where I altered my own sense of space time and age changed the way I was experiencing feeling things changed time that was relative to me because time is relative to me right and whatever it is that I'm observing and and interacting with I was able to alter mm. not under my control mm. 
But I think somewhere there, I could interface and program a quantum computer. And you would need that. If, for example, we were traveling from one galaxy to another galaxy beyond the speed of light, mm. your navigational system for your computer would need to calculate all possible routes simultaneously. Yeah. Or else you uh, just wouldn't be pretty. And it has to be faster than the speed of light because 122 million light years or whatever the hell, that's traveling at the speed of light. Yeah. It's still impossible for us to get to. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't really understand how it all works, but it exists. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's we don't invent it; we just uncover it in the same way that like we didn't really invent electricity; it existed. We just discovered it, and it was already there, exactly like Michelangelo's angel within the Marvin. And that could be a great place to bring this first conversation which I think may stretch to many more of an end although it flows hey man that was a dump um yeah so Jug thank you thanks for being here I think um for those listening if you've made it to the end here thank you for hanging in there um your depth of thinking is very very powerful I think and um yeah I appreciate you taking the time to to share the inner wisdom there in the inner thinking. I don't know, man. They just, they're just, they're just stuff that I, I mean, I'm probably didn't articulate a lot of the stuff correctly as to, I'm trying to re-remember what I learned. And some of it, you know, I think it's stuff that we should be talking about more. Because mm. we're not, we're not, as a race, we're not really thinking anymore. I think we think we are. But I don't think we're thinking about things uh, in a way that we used to think about things. I think we should leave it right there. <laughs>